Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 151 for Thursday, August 16th, 2012. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. Our feedback line, as always, if you want to leave any voicemails, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. All right, we got a lot of housekeeping to get out of the way. I have had a hellacious hour or so preparing the show for this week. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. The computer decided to shut itself down randomly, I think because of a conflict with programs, etc., etc., etc. So if I'm a little more irate than usual, it always makes for a better show. So yeah, tons of technical glitches fucking things up to start this week's show. Nonetheless, they all seem to be in order and, um, yeah, you guys know the deal. Anyway, let's get into housekeeping. We got a lot to discuss. First off, MTR is officially syndicated. As of this Monday, we are a part of the Futurecast Media Network, playing episodes of My Take Radio every Monday and every Saturday at 9 p.m. Pacific. And you can check out those episodes at futurecastmedia.com. We'll be putting out a release later on this week. To cover that. So now, with that said, we got a roll call. You can hear MTR live every Thursday, either through Blog Talk Radio or Mixler on our Facebook fan page. Besides that, you can get MTR through iTunes, Stitcher, um, TuneIn Radio. Uh, list has gotten way too long. Blueberry, Blackberry Podcasts, your regular podcatchers that are out there. All over the place. That's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, I'm very happy to have MTR being broadcast to a completely new audience. I noticed that now our fan count is at about 4,100 or so, which is fantastic. Good to see so many new fans coming on board. I know we were stuck for a little while, but we got a nice 
boost, I guess, from Monday night with a couple of new listeners. So welcome, new fans. Glad you guys can join us. And let's keep going. Our goal is to hit that 5,000 fan mark. It's a really nice number. Also, I want to stress the importance of if you are getting episodes of MTR from iTunes, please take a moment and rate us. The more positive ratings we get, the more feedback we get, the closer we get to cracking that top 100. Not not that not to even toot our own horn, but we do a lot of cool shit better than dudes that are in that top 100. That's all I'm saying. I'll be humble, but I will say we do a lot of cooler shit. Simple as that. So there you have it. That's the big announcement. Syndication has happened. Um, There are talks of syndicating MTR to other networks. Hopefully we'll get some stuff finalized within the coming weeks. We also are going to have some really cool stuff coming up. We'll be recording a new MTR Beyond the Mic with uh, the creator of Roxer. It is a new animated series debuting. uh, Right, Probably it's going to be web only for now, but they are trying to get it picked up. And that's going to be an animated MMA cartoon with some superhero elements as well. Slick has checked out some of the video for it, and the animation is amazing. So we will be doing a Beyond the Mic interview next Tuesday at 8.30. That will be exclusive to app owners for the first week or so, and then we will be releasing that to the general public. Also, for those of you that subscribe via RSS, I'm sure that you've noticed that MTR150 was in your RSS feed this week. So that will be another way for you guys to listen to MTR. It is it is great to announce that MTR's episode with Darksiders is crossed well over 1,000 downloads, approaching the 2,000 download mark. I am humbled, proud, and, and happy to see such an amazing turnout. The guys from Darksiders are uh, a great group of guys. They support the show, and I'm really glad that the episode is just loved by so many people. I've gotten countless positive feedbacks from Twitter and Facebook and in different groups and various other circles about it. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. Also, we started adding the episodes to YouTube. Episode 150 is there as well. So you can catch it on YouTube and we're going to start adding more episodes of MTR on YouTube going forward. I, I had initially started doing it and the problem is, and, and I'll be really honest with you guys, YouTube is a bitch. Uploading videos to YouTube is like pulling teeth. You go, you do all this stuff, and, you know, we use a Windows-based environment, so certain things you think would make it easier, but no, no, it doesn't. It, it takes, you know, hours to render videos one way, and then on top of that, they got to be finalized, and you got to do all this stuff. It, it's a cumbersome pain in the balls, but we, we're working on making it easier to get the episodes up there. I know a lot of you guys have been giving me shit about doing video we are going to try and do more video. It's, I promise you, it's just time has not been on my side as of late. But we will be doing some stuff in the coming weeks. Which leads me to something that's going down this weekend. Unveil will be holding their first fighting game tournament, the Unveil Throwdown, at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in the city. Uh, that's in Manhattan on 59th Street, for those of you here in New York. Uh, $10 buy-in and $10 admission. You can play a couple of... The best fighting games, test your skills are, are, are with New York's best. And um, yeah, it's going to be a great time. We're going to be covering it. Myself and Andrea are going to be there. Unfortunately, Slick will be unable to join us, but Slick is always with us in spirit for stuff like that. So be on the lookout for photos, videos, and countless other things stemming from that event this week. And of course, we'll be joining our partners at Unveil 
We're going to see a couple of other uh, luminaries from the gaming industry, including Unveil's own Noel Brown. He will be there. In addition to that, we're going to have uh, guys from Kona's Corner. We're going to have a couple of different sponsors there taking care of business. And we are going to bring you the sights and sounds of that event. Uh, hopefully, it starts at 10 a.m., and I believe it runs till about 8.30. So if you're a local here in New York, want to test your skills in some Street Fighter, some Marvel vs. Capcom 3, maybe some Street Fighter Arcade Edition, head on down to John Jay College. You can find the event on our Facebook fan page. We will be reposting it between tonight and tomorrow as well for any locals that want to head on down for that. You can also follow Unveil on Twitter at UnveilNYC. And also you can just hit us up as well and we will give you the details. I just got word that there was a Get Glue update earlier today. As always, your Get Glue check-ins are appreciated. Nice to see so many of you checking into MTR. Um, until Get Glue decides to show us a little love, we will, you know, we're still awaiting stickers. Simple as that. Tonight, we got a couple of things. Ben is going to be joining us at around 11.30, along with Gary Friedman from Fight Insight Radio. A lot of you guys know Gary. He usually comes on with Spilled Bag of Ice. Uh, they used to be formerly on MMA Gospel, but they decided to kind of walk their own path with Fight Insight Radio, which debuts, well, excuse me, not debuts, uh, airs bi-weekly, and... Um, you guys can check them out. They have really great fight interviews, great casual atmosphere, not stuffy or overblown like some of the other shows out there, uh, especially Spillbag. Spillbag and Gary work very well together. You guys have heard them countless times on MTR, and it's going to be good. I mean, get, bringing Gary in is going to be fun just because I think it'll be the first time that he has spoke to Ben on air, and it should be interesting. We're going to talk, of course, about what went down with the Edgar and Ben Henderson fight. We're going to go into some MMA news. So we're going to be hitting that at 1130 sharp. Uh, we should be running that about an hour or so. At 1230, we're going to be joined uh, by Brandon from Creaction Interactive. And he is the creative director for Oravim, which is our sponsor for the gaming segment. And we're going to get into a little bit of the game, but also learn a little bit about the behind the scenes of creating games as a whole so he will be joining us at 12 30 that's going to be 9 30 pacific for those of you on the west coast as well as always make sure to go to mtr.com or mytakeradio.com i haven't been able to purchase mtr.com because some schmuck in sri lanka is being very stingy with it but anyway head over to mytakeradio.com and you can check out some of the new content this week i know that slick is playing darksiders josh is playing darksiders and ben is also playing darksiders i unfortunately am not a couple of circumstances have prohibited me from picking up the game until this weekend, so hopefully I will be on it as well. Be on the lookout for reviews from somebody. Most likely Slick and myself. We'll we'll see how it goes. Probably uh, Slick will probably be able to bang one out first, just because Slick is the man when it comes to shit like that. And um, as usual, I will follow suit, so be on the lookout for that. Tonight's topics, WWE Raw. TNA Impact, we're going to talk Hardcore Justice, definitely a couple of things went down there. We're going to talk some MMA with the UFC event, we're going to talk about Strike Force this weekend, there's a lot to discuss on that front. Also, we got some gaming news, which are a little light this week, just because, you know, Gamescom is going on, and most of the stuff that came out are trailers and stuff that you guys have already seen, but there are a couple of things I want to get into for that, which I'm sure um, Slick will 
lend me the assist if need be. Also, we got our movie segment. We got some what the fuck movie news in there. And as usual, we are always available to take your calls. One thing I haven't been able to plug, which I've been slacking on, is that yes, we do take calls on air for the 347-324-3541 number. Also, you can use that number to listen to the fo- to listen to the show on your phone. Just make sure not to hit the number one because that will put you in the call-in queue. So you can listen to the show also via your phone if you're driving and you just want to put it on speakerphone or if you're working late shift. That's another way to do it as well. I did want to talk a little bit about something that went on this week, of course, and it ties into the opening monologue. And it's regarding just the, the current culture regarding... Nintendo and what's been happening with Nintendo as of late. This Sunday, the new Super Mario Brothers 2 will be released on the 3DS along with the 3DS XL. Our buddies at RapeStop are offering $100 for your 3DS units if you intend on trading them in for your 3DS XL. Now, this past Tuesday, my sister Jessie, she turned 23. Um... For those of you that aren't familiar with the show, my sister Jessie has autism. One of the things she loves is Nintendo games, especially those on the DS, particularly Mario. Mario and Sonic are her shit. Plays them nonstop. Anyway, I went, I picked up Sonic Generations for her and also Sonic and Mario at the Olympics, which, of course, is exactly what you would expect. And the reason I want to get into that and you in the monologue particularly is because Nintendo's release schedule is bullshit. Um, and I'll tell you guys why we all know most new DVDs, most new games drop on Tuesday. There are some instances where some Blu-rays like the hunger games or twilight, usually whatever tween stuff drops on a weekend, take it for what it's worth. Now in Nintendo's case, you have something like a brand new handheld and also a brand new game. Now, I've talked to a couple of different people. I even spoke to a couple of people that I actually like that work in GameStop. And we were talking about the specifics about releases like this. And I was asking them, like, you know, why would they do that? And usually the strategy is because most kids are home and they'll be able to drag their parents out to pick up these games on a weekend. But that argument, in my opinion, holds no weight because there's no school right now. I can understand if you told me. Um, if you told me, hey, we're releasing it on a Sunday just because we want to get it out there before bigger titles release on Tuesday. Okay, I can buy that argument, but I don't understand their logic, the whole Sunday thing. And I mean, Slick, Slick is, um, mentioned in the chat that they release a lot, everything on Sunday, consoles and games. And I've never really given it too much attention until now, because I'm not a person that goes out there to chase Nintendo stuff. Correction, he told me they started doing it since the Nintendo 64. Now, like I said, I picked up Sonic Generations, and I got her Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. What did I really want to get her? New Super Mario Brothers 2. Why? Because it's in every advertisement that came out in this Sunday's paper. That's why. But of course, no, 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 you gotta buy the shit on a Sunday. And you run the risk of it selling out, obviously. Now, the 3DS XL, personally... I feel that it is a complete waste of fucking money. But, in my sister's case, given her autism, and this is something that 
those of you not familiar with autism may not know, um, individuals with autism tend to focus on certain things. In my sister's case, it is the 3D on the 3DS, which, you know, I will, I lower the volume, I lower the 3D to zero because she wears glasses and she can't verbally tell me that, hey, it's making my eyes want to fucking burn out of their sockets or that my head hurts. So I have to really, really watch her use of 3D on the system. Usually I'll watch and if I see her rubbing her eyes or something, I can tell that it's definitely affecting her and I wander over and sure as shit, boom, the 3D is there. Now, I will say this, and and people may agree or disagree, I honestly feel that the 3DS, their whole application of 3D, in my opinion, is fucking vaporware. It's bullshit. You know, it, it and, and some people are going to come on and they're going to be like, yeah, you know, 3D is good. Look, I understand they wanted to revolutionize and try something different without glasses and do the 3D based on perception. But quite honestly, the 3D is very fucking distracting. And any child that I've seen play a 3D game has never really bought or played the game based on 3D. They bought the game based on the IP and the use of the game as a whole in, in relation to the system they're playing it on. I feel it really is vaporware. I have to monitor her at all times. And I was watching her play Sonic Generations. And, you know, I, I turned up the 3D a little bit. And I had to stare personally. And, and again, you know, I'm normal. I'm, you know, and I'm looking at the screen. And I have to stare at it straight ahead. I can't move my eyes to the left or to the right. Because it just it just ruins the the experience. Any type of 3D experience that they're trying to force on you is lost the minute your eyesight shifts left or right. Um, Quark said that Kingdom Hearts 3D looks terrible in 3D, but fantastic in 2D. I, you know, again, taking what Quark said into consideration, I just feel that Nintendo, for as much as they as they try to put out there and as much as they try to be innovative, certain things just have no place. And the 3D thing is, is one of them. I, I understand why they did it, but it just really doesn't work, quite honestly. And on top of that, the, the releasing this bread, this larger 3DS, you know, charging a premium for it, leaving out the second analog stick, which we've discussed at length, is a complete other story. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was was GameStop generously offering gamers a hundred bucks to trade it in for the upgrade. Make of it, you know, make of it what you will, but I honestly don't think that you're gonna you're gonna fare better on eBay or Amazon. So if you want to get the bigger 3DS, maybe you want to take that hundred bucks and and get yourself the bigger one. Personally, I'm gonna try and uh, get it for her. Probably my grandmother will get it because the bigger screen may just help in case she accidentally turns up the 3D to make it look a little bit more clear because there's more surface area. And the whole reason I'm even contemplating getting her the larger one is because my grandmother in her infinite wisdom uh, took it upon herself. And this is now a um, a peek into Rich's real world outside of MTR. My grandmother, like most Spanish or Hispanic grandmothers, they, they like to shop in the discount stores a lot. They like to shop at your your DDs, your SNAs. Uh, for those of you down south, maybe your five and dimes, whatever it is. So she decided 
I come home Monday night, uh, the third Monday night, the thirteenth. Come home, go downstairs, say hello, say hello to my sister, and she says to me, "Hey, I got I got Jesse a really cool gift." And as soon as she tells me she got her a really cool gift, it's usually a battery operated kid phone that makes noises and rings. And, you know, like any good loving brother, when the fake phone rings, you got to answer it. Um, But she decided, I'm going to buy my sister a tablet. Yes, my grandmother bought my sister a tablet in a discount store. So I'm like, how much was the fucking tablet? Oh, they gave it usually goes for one seventy nine. But I, you know, they gave me a good deal and I got it for one hundred dollars. You bought a tablet in a fucking discount. I think the shit has like Android one. It has Android and the robot has like one leg and one eye. I don't even know what operating system it is. I'm like, what possessed you to buy her this tablet? Oh, she sees the tablet. out. You know, she sees people playing with all these little tablets and she wants. Why would you do this to me? So. The whole reason why I go into this is because going into my real life always, you know, puts a smile on people's faces. And even me, I, I, you know, I admired her for, for taking the initiative, but it was a stupid move. She went along, you know, this is coupled with the fact that my sister likes to watch cartoons on YouTube, especially old shit, you know, Bobby's World Rocco's Modern Life, you know, shit that was good that they don't give anymore. Anyway, she likes to watch this shit on YouTube, and she used to watch it on YouTube in her school. So, but because my sister liked YouTube so much, my grandmother took it upon herself to buy her a desktop, which she decided to purchase DSL for. So my grandmother decided that she was going to incur a bill with Verizon for DSL for my sister to watch YouTube. I kid you not. You can't make this shit up. So you're paying Verizon, whatever, 50, 60, 70 bucks, somewhere in between, for my sister to watch YouTube. Not use the computer for anything else but YouTube. So, besides that annoying me and the tablet annoying me, you know, you spend $300 on a desktop, you spend whatever, $130, right there we got 430 bucks. You could have just saved your money and got her a fucking iPad. Would have been easier. They have tons of fantastic applications for for individuals with autism and individuals that are learning disabled. I actually saw um, a young lady in, in my sister's dayhab that actually uses her tablet to communicate because she is completely nonverbal. So she'll touch a button and it'll say I and it'll be like I want. And then you click water and, and it'll speak. You know, it's a robotic voice, but it'll be like, hey, I want water. So, so there's so many great applications. So, so my grandmother, again, love her to death, but she's a fucking idiot, um, went and bought this terrible Dell desktop first. That was the first thing. She bought this terrible Dell desktop from, from the fucking five and dime computer store that's in my neighborhood. And then she goes and buys this tablet that was probably made by, by kids in Sri Lanka. Ugh. Terrible. It is terrible. I looked at the tablet. It's about, I think it's the size of a Kindle. Hell, I would have felt better had she bought her a Kindle. But, no, she buys her this, I think it's made by Digipix or Digix or some shit. 
Oh, and the best part is that she gives her the tablet, takes the tablet out of the box, and the screen is scratched. So I told her, take this piece of hot garbage back to the store, get your money out, give me the money, and put it towards getting her the bigger 3DS. No-brainer. Give her some shit she likes. Not a fucking tablet that she'll lose interest interest in in five minutes. Especially a tablet that is pretty much the equivalent of a, of a speak and spell from 1987. Seriously, people. Seriously. And you know, this leads into the whole Android fragmentation thing. And it's true. You can go into a Walmart and buy a tablet made by some company called Craig. I'd like to find the guy that owns that company. And I pray to God his name is Craig. And kick him right in the balls. Only because old people, and we all have them, will swear by this brand. They'll buy radios and DVD players and little tiny bootleg home theater systems. And they're, ma- they're always made by, the, by this Craig guy. I don't know who the fuck he is, but his company sucks. I wouldn't doubt that the company that made the tablet is really Craig in disguise. Because it is complete dog shit. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Why Nintendo sucks? Because of their Sunday release schedule. Why Android frustrates me? Because of bootleg tablets. And old people, old people just, they just frustrate me because they don't listen. Simple as that. Alright, we got a lot of MMA to discuss, so let's get right into it. I'm going to bring Ben on, and as soon as Gary calls in, he will join us. So let's get that ball rolling. All right, let me bring Ben in. Ben, what's going on, brother? Welcome back. Not much. What's up, man? Nothing, man. There is a ton of shit going on in MMA this week. And, of course, much like we spoke about off-air, I was going to ask you to come on. And you, I think you just you just felt it in your bones that you needed to stop through. And I know Gary from Fight Insight Radio is going to be joining us. But I, I wanted to talk to you beforehand because I wanted to bring something to your attention, which you may have seen lately. And um, it's Dana White's love affair with Ronda Rousey. Please tell me how 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 totally weird that shit looks. It looks weird. I understand why it exists because of Gina Carano that kept fighting attractive woman who can't fight. You kind of want to hitch a wagon to her, but it's still really awkward to have someone who one doesn't directly fight for you. Right. And two, you're walking around with her naked on your shirt. Yep. It's, it's creepy. I, I understand why he's doing it. You know, you want to get it out here, out there, because I believe if Cyborg could make 135, which I doubt she ever could. She's going to have to um, remove, she's going to have to remove her uterus to fight at 135. <laughs> Take her uterus, <laughs> ovaries, all that out, and just fight with no, with no baby maker. <laughs> Yeah, but if she could, they they would put that um, they would put that in on the UFC. I think that would be like some kind of super fighter. They put that on Fox, but you know that's not happening. So I don't know. I think he wants to get her in the UFC, or he wants some excuse to get her in the UFC because she's so popular right now with, with the Olympics just being over and everything. But it's still creepy because there's no real conceivable way she's going to be in the UFC for a while. 
and it's just creepy walking around with a woman, a naked woman that you hang out with sometimes on your shirt. Well, that's the it's thing weird. too. That's the thing too. It's like you own, you know, Zufa owns Strike Force, and I'm gonna let me bring Gary in real quick. Hey, Gary, welcome back. Hey, great to be back, Rich. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Love, uh, you know, I'm the, one of your biggest fans. Uh, other than Kathy Bates, I think I'm your biggest fan. So well, well thank you. <laughs> Good old Gary Friedman, <laughs> MMA Fight Insight Radio on Blog Talk Radio, bi-weekly. Uh, you just did a show last week. Uh, who'd you have on? Yeah, we actually, uh, Spilder and myself took a, I guess, uh, you, you could say leap of faith, uh, which is sort of ironic because um, his uh, handle is Blessed MMA. is quite, uh, uh, you know, ha- has quite a lot of faith himself, and it uh, worked out well. We had Max Holloway nice. on uh, two days before his huge victory over Justin Lawrence, and uh, really appreciate it. He gave us an hour of really great radio. Um, great guy, really down to earth, unbelievable. He's like 20, you know, 20, 21 years old, married, has a kid, and. Uh, I was just so happy for him to uh, see him win like that. So uh, uh, really uh, was praying, <laughs> literally, that he would win uh, because uh, we've got uh, another week and a half or more for uh, the next show. So it uh, would have been tough if he would have got wiped out. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that the interview went well. I'm glad to hear that he won. And before I brought you on, I was talking with Ben, Ben, Gary, Gary, Ben. <laughs> hey, Ben. What's up, man? What's Good up? to meet you. Uh, you mentioned to Rich, I was listening to uh, episode 148 uh, today on the train coming home, uh, and really did a great job on MMA on it, uh, Ben. I was, uh, thought you did great. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I used to listen to you guys on, uh, when y'all guys were on MMA Castle. I haven't got a chance to listen to your new show yet, but thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, check us out. We're better than ever. We're actually up to episode number 10 now. So, uh, definitely the bi-weekly has made it a little bit easier on us, so uh, I think we're a little fresher for each episode. Okay. All right, I'll check y'all out. Definitely, thanks. Well, I w- before I brought you on, I was talking with Ben about the the slight creep factor with um, Dana White and Ronda Rousey. You know, her naked on this T-shirt and all of this other shit, and all of a sudden now the whole prospect of women's MMA looks a little bit more appealing versus, I don't know, mm-hmm. six months or a year ago when he was just like, ah, you know, this is bullshit. Ah, I, I don't care. <laughs> so... You know, Ben. Ben shared his thoughts on it. What do you think? How, are you are you seeing it more like he's embracing the sport because he finds he he's found a chick who's ruthless, attractive, speaks in sound bites, and can pretty much be marketed by the Zufa hype machine? Or do you think it's a little deeper than that? Maybe he 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 want he wants to you know hitch a. I, I like Ben's Ben's um, analogy. Hitch a wagon to that. <laughs> let me let me tell you something. First of all, I have. You know, obviously on our show, and I guess the yours I have, on occasion, Rip Dana White and other times praised him. Yep. Uh, Love-hate relationship. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm definitely, you know, I you know, I call it how, it how it is, and frankly, I don't give a shit if he blocks me or whatever, not that he gives a shit about me. But um, a perfect example of what Dana White, you know, sort of cares about, and I think ultimately what directs him, you saw this weekend with the Henderson-Edgar fight. Uh, whenever there's a really tough decision, and, you know, most people really thought Edgar won that fight. I know it's open for discussion, but, you know, people really, a lot of, the huge majority, at least on Twitter, I would say literally eight out of ten at least, thought Edgar won. 
And, you know, when Dana comes on, he's like, he seemed sort of giddy about the decision. Um, supposedly, he said, you know, which he denied, but people on Twitter are saying he said to Henderson, you won the fight. Yeah, exactly. He said yeah, he did. And, I mean, that's what people had heard. And he suddenly doesn't want to comment. I don't comment about the judges. Now, think about it that um, because of this decision, his wish of Edgar moving down to ultimately in a suit, you know, fight Aldo in a super fight is going to happen. His wish of Diaz getting a title shot is going to happen. So it worked out how he exactly wanted it. So he didn't really have any issue with, uh, you know, the fact of uh, the judges scoring. Uh, didn't even want to comment. So now go on to Ronda Rousey. You know, six months ago, a year ago, uh, he's ripping female MMA um, and saying he doesn't believe in it and blah, blah, blah. And now you got to, you know, honestly, I mean, I think she's absolutely beautiful, Ronda Rousey. Blows away Gina Carano, in my opinion. Um, not that it, you know, matters. But he's got somebody who appears to be the total package who has really, really caught on. And, you know, suddenly now, you know, he may be open to it. It's nothing more complex than a business decision. The same thing why he was happy for the Edgar uh, Henderson decision, the same thing with Ronda Rousey. It's strictly a business decision. He can make now money with her, and that's all it's about. It's not about any other change of attitude in female MMA, anything else other than the fact she's marketable, and he's a business guy. He's a brilliant, brilliant businessman. And, um, you know, she, uh, she is uh, somebody who people will pay to see, ultimately. So that's all it is. There really isn't anything more to it, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Fair enough. Now, here's going into something else before we talk about this week's, uh, this past weekend's UFC pay-per-view is Ronda Rousey speaking in sound bites. And the reason I bring that up is because she always knows just the right bit of knowledge to drop that just catches the internet on fire. Particularly uh, saying that Cyborg, she doesn't care if Cyborg inje injects horse jizz into her eyes to get down to 135. <laughs> now, obviously, given our demographic and how we conduct ourselves on the show, the prospect of injecting horse jizz into your eyes is something that we find remarkably amusing around here. But seeing a chick deliver that type of a of a soundbite, I'm sure definitely gave Dana White a chubby. Because this is the same guy who, you know, will tell you to go fuck yourself on Twitter. with At the drop of a hat. How do you guys, how do you guys feel about just how that affects the sport as a whole? Because not you're not going to get a dozen Ronda Rouseys or a dozen Gina Caranos. One thing that, I, that bugged me was actually the video package for this weekend Showtime event. It's like, yeah, we're just going to put these chicks in latex. And they're gonna they're gonna stare at each other. We had no idea what was going on. It looked like a commercial for a Matrix movie. Basically, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Good. Basically, okay. Uh, basically, because women in MMA is so shallow right now, um, and Vince is doing a good job of trying to, to flesh it out, but women in MMA is extremely shallow. There's only a handful of fighters that really are really really great, and the rest are very embryonic in their, their fighting, embryonic in what they're doing. With Ronda Rousey being attractive, and because there's a lot of men who watch MMA that can give a shit about women fighting. They think it's chicks fighting. I can 
it's, it's not that big a deal. So to get dudes to watch, let's make them sexy. Even though I don't think Sarah Kaufman's sexy, let's try to make them sexy. And th- that's what they're marketing it as. Um, they're not marketing it as a fight. They're marketing it as an event, as a let's watch these two chicks fight. Kind of like they used to do on like old hook and shoot shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not, it's an event. It's not it's more like a freak show thing. Uh, until they start really marketing them as fighters, it's, it's women's MMA is never going to take off uh, the way Dana White wants because they're not because it's so shallow. You really can't market it as a fight yet, so you got to market it as this weird pseudo freak show latex matrix thing. Well, it's. I mean, I, I have to say first. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, you probably know from listening to our old shows, we have like Mark Huon from. Um, I know, you know, he just did a number of fight, uh, you know, female fighting websites and uh, radio shows he does, and you know, so I'm massive, huge fan of female MMA. Um, I mean, there's there really is a lot of talent out there in female MMA, um, even on the amateur level. Uh, you know, but like like Ben said, I mean, really, at this point, most people don't care about it. That's just a fact. And, you know, this is, you know, Ronda Rousey has now uh, sort of become like the Layla Ali was to boxing, uh, female boxing, um, you know, just brought it into the mainstream. Uh, thing to remember is when Layla Ali has subsequently left, female, M- um, female boxing has died. So female MMA, um, you know, I have a feeling because there is definitely a stronger amateur program, um, you know, maybe, you know, can still obviously exist without their star, but on the UFC level, it's hard to say. But I will say this, um, as far as the whole Ronda Rousey hype machine, uh, you know, and Dana White really isn't doing a whole lot. It's Ronda Rousey doing it. I don't know if you saw in the news today where she essentially is saying she wants to, you know, she has a choke on Kaufman. She's going to keep essentially keep the choke on until she strangles her to death. Obviously, I mean, she doesn't really mean that, but what it really looks to be like is Ronda Rousey is truly wanting to become the female version of the Diaz brothers. And I think it's getting a little bit uh, over the top where, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to take serious. So I think she's, I, I don't know, I really think she's sort of at this point uh, becoming almost a caricature of a fighter trying to be, you know, hype up a fight, in my opinion. Then the female version of Diaz Brothers is hard to do because that's not an act. The dudes are, that's just an <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> no, no, act. You're, you're right, and the fact that for her it is an act makes it that much more evident. You know, where she's acting, though they're not acting, but she's frankly acting, um, as far as I'm concerned. Look, I, I, I find... I see no harm in saying that if I got a if she says look I got to choke on a on a chick I don't give a shit I'll choke her till she's dead because once again what one of the things that made Mike Tyson and and Gary can agree is an enigma were some of the things that he said when you tell a grown ass man that you are going to eat his children I don't give, you know, I don't I don't give a shit. Whether you get your ass whooped in the first round, you want to see that because you don't know what you're getting. You know, his one interview, I forgot which one it was, where he was like, I'm going to fuck you till you love me. You know, I said, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I just want to see this guy beat 
somebody to death because mm-hmm. it's it's again speaking in sound bites. Ronda Rousey, it's it, 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 comparing her to the Diaz brothers is is a is a is a good way to look at it. But honestly, I compare her more to Chael because Chael is a character that 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 that, that, that loves to fight. That's how it is. It's like he's just a guy who plays a character that's also happens to be good at punching people in the face. Ronda Rousey's trying to emulate that and create that persona because she feels that that's the only way that women's MMA will get a spotlight, which is unfortunate that you have to resort to those type of tactics because she breaks chicks arms like it's going out of like like it's going out of style. It's not even a problem for her. It's like, "Oh, what's this? Your arm? Oh, how about putting it in a sling for 6 months?" I'll gladly help you. That's all we need. I mean, that that Misha Tate fight, Slick can attest to this in the chat. He can attest to it in the chat. When he saw Misha Tate's arm just bend in a way it shouldn't Mm -hmm. have bent, there was no no hype for that in the sense that Mm -hmm. you knew it wasn't coming. You knew it was coming, and that was what you were looking forward to. Ronda Rousey's in in that same boat. You don't give a shit what she says as long as she goes out there and does something like that. Simple as that. Talking in sound bites mm-hmm. is to sell the fights. That's it. No, it's true. I mean, that, that's true. And I, I definitely, I, you know, definitely Ben also get his thoughts on, on it. Um, I, I would only say that, uh, you know, we had Ronda Rousey on our show, you know, back in the MMA Gospel Day, and she's such a really nice person. Yep. Actually, you know, I, I mean, I'm actually massive. I was a big fan of hers. I just think that at this stage, you know, I and I might be wrong. I, I've I've been on record now, uh, and a little ridicule, which I think is kind of crazy, uh, based on if you look at the records. But on the record, as saying that I am predicting Sarah Kaufman is going to win on Saturday. Um, yeah, she's fifteen and one. Rousey's five and zero. Oh. Uh, Rousey had a life and death struggle with Misha Tate. Um, you know, she almost lost that fight. People forget that before she ended up winning. You know, she's not indestructible. She hasn't run through a division like Mike Tyson has to warrant the height that she's got. Right. Now, she beats Sarah Kaufman. Okay, I was wrong, and, I, you know, frankly, I've been wrong many times. I will then say, okay, now we can start truly hyping her up. But people are overlooking the fact that she's fighting somebody that if you stack their records and experience side by side, she should be the underdog, and Sarah Kaufman should be the favorite. I I agree with you what you're saying that she should be the underdog, but I still think she's going to win. I don't. Not that Sarah Kaufman can't win, but Sarah Kaufman Sarah Kaufman ain't coming out there swinging like she she's a good striker, but she's not super powerful. And I don't. I think the person to beat Ronda Rousey, which is a problem with women's MMA, is going to be someone who hits really hard. That's why I think if her and Cyborg fought, I think Cyborg would be able to win. But because Sarah Kaufman doesn't hit that hard, I think she'll probably win some rounds. I, I don't think it'll end in the first round. I'd be shocked if it gets. I'd be shocked if it ends in the first round. Mm-hmm. But no, that's, it, that's um, a great point you make. Brought up. You are right about that. About the power puncture. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think because her her stand up is horrible. I don't, she's not even, she, her stand-up is non-existent. All she's trying to do is get her hands on you. Once she yep. gets her hands on you, you're, you're pretty much done. Because that's the Olympic, mm-hmm. Olympic Judy, Judica. She's going to toss you, and then she's going to armbar you. Kind of what's going to happen. So I think that Sarah Coffin for a while is going to be able to keep the distance and be able to box. But at some point, um, Ronda Rousey is going to be able to get her hands on her and toss her and tap her. 
but I don't I don't think it's gonna be like a first round like every single one of us. Like, I, just, I just don't think it's going in that way. Uh, it's gonna be it's 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 really an interesting fight. I mean, that's what I'm saying. The the hype is definitely getting more attention, but I just think it's a fantastic fight between two really great talents, and I'm just hoping for a great fight to help female MMA. And um, you know, as far as Dana White goes, you know, and I I, I really hope. You know, and again, he's going to do it if it makes business sense. He's going to he's going to have more female fights, and maybe even you know, again have one division. You know, they've got to have enough talent in a division. Um, you know, to have it in the UFC. But uh, I'm just hoping for, like you say, I'm just hoping for a really great fight. You know, I I am predicting Kaufman uh, from experience, and frankly, I think Ronda maybe is overlooking her at this point because she's just so into being the you know media star as opposed to uh, training. But, again, people have told me, hey, this is a woman who fought in the Olympics. She's got the incredible amateur, you know, the judo background, so she knows what she's doing and could very well be right. So uh, we shall see. All right, let's get into the um, this weekend's UFC 150, of course. I expected, before I even say anything, I expected 150 to have... I don't know, bigger significance, you know, that, that that's like a milestone number, much like, you know, R150 and R100 and, you know, UFC 100, I expected something bigger, not to say that, that Henderson and Edgar wasn't big, but I just felt that it just didn't have that, that pomp and circumstance that, 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 that UFC 100 card had, that card was, was fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. By the way, very quickly, um, I just want to mention, uh, just to getting to your point, you know, the UFC, I guess, 100, Ben, I don't know if you can recall, was it like 1,600,000 buys, I think? Uh, I believe that. I think it was the highest rate. I'm pretty sure that's what the number was. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's right. I think it was around 1.6 million. Um, I just saw an article today on MMA Torch. Um, I always like to give credit, especially if I'm wrong. But early estimates of Henderson Edgar two, one hundred ninety thousand pay per views. That doesn't shock me at all. Um, wow. It doesn't shock me only because I normally go because I'm a broke college student. <laughs> I normally <laughs> go watch my fights at a Buffalo Wild Wings, um, which is not the ideal place to watch it. Uh, if you saw my Facebook uh, on Saturday night, which saw it, it is the things people say in Buffalo Wild Wings. Hell. I like I like I like the the commentary that you were putting up because I said to myself, you know what? That's what happens when you're at a sporting at at an establishment like that. People are drinking. All of a sudden, they become armchair analysts, and you're just hearing some random list, some random bullshit just spewed out of their mouths. Yeah, group of white guys just yelling that nigga got knocked out. Really? Oh shit. Yes. Anyway, so um, the reason to get back to my point, people who don't, who are very casual fans of sports, when they see the lighter weight classes, they think, I can beat this guy up. This dude's 155 pounds, I can beat this guy up. That's why when heavyweights fight, they're like, oh, these guys are huge, you know, they're bigger than life, um, you know, I could never fight this guy. But when you see a Frankie Edgar, you're like, I can beat this guy up. Literally, you know, this Frankie Edgar beat the hell out of him. 99% of regular human beings. Mm-hmm. It's just, lightweights aren't going to sell, which is why I'm really happy that they're saying that the Benson Henderson, uh, Nate Diaz fight is going to be on Fox, because I think you should build them up on Fox. Show for free to millions of viewers what the lightweights can do, because that Nate Diaz against the Henderson fight, 
It's not going to be boring. There's no way in hell that's going to be boring. Hell no. Put it on Fox. And then it's, it's like crack. Give them a little taste to keep coming back. <laughs> you know? I agree. So, you know, yeah, you, you give them that taste. You show them Benson Henderson, they did. And then next, maybe the next time they fight, you, you get a bigger pay-per-view vibe. But the UFC pay-per-view vibes have been low recently anyway. It, due to, I wouldn't say oversaturation, but there's just being so many cards. Oh, you're right, but oversaturation. <laughs> well, I, I don't think so much as oversaturation as they have so many cards now. Like, back, back when I first started watching MMA, um, when I was, like, 15, um, there was a card, like, maybe every three or four months or something like that. Like, there was a few cards. And there was, it was an event. It was a big-time event. Now, I'm watching MMA every single weekend. And because I do this, like, not that it's difficult for me. I mean, I have a girlfriend, but she understands that I love MMA, so I'm watching. Mm-hmm. But if I had a less understanding girlfriend, she'd be pissed because there's a large period of time on watching MMA. It's coming on on Wednesday. It's coming on again on Tuesday. Or it's coming on on Saturday. Or I got a card this weekend or that weekend. It's it's a lot going on, so people are picking and choosing. So it's not as many. It's not going to be as many super duper big um, cards. Like I think what was it? USC one. Which one was uh, Anderson Silva? Forty eight or one forty seven? I think it was one forty seven. I think seven is that. I, I, yeah. you know, the numbers go so fast. I mean, where that was one fifty, one forty nine was a fucking horrendous. Pay-per-view. Oh, Scott, uh, 149 shouldn't even exist. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was 147. Well, well, then, then again, then again, yeah. I, there's just, uh, there's, I think they, I mean, according to this article, there's like four and seven weeks. I don't think there was. I don't mean torch at the event. Well, maybe I read it wrong. But uh, but I just have to ask you, uh, Ben, uh, you know, you yeah. mentioned about the smaller guys, um, you know, pay-per-view. What do you think about how many buys is UFC 152, which is on pay-per-view, which is, Benavides, Demetrius Johnson, who I love, but they're headlining the fight, and then you've got Bisbang against Brian Stan, which is a great, you know, a great FX main event maybe. But what, what do you think a flyway fight is going to score with regards to pay per views? Same. I, I, I agree. Uh, it would, it's probably going to be similar. Um, yeah. If not lower, and it's yeah. a shame because flyways. I love watching flyways. Me too. It's, 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 it's going to be. Probably the same, if not lower. I'm going to watch it, but, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, people, as sad as it is, a lot of people don't watch MMA for the sport. A lot of people watch MMA to see big dudes throw punches like this is pro wrestling. For the carnage. People watch people watch MMA the same way you slow down when you watch an accident. You drive down the highway, you see an ambulance, you see traffic stopped, you're uh, there's a part of you that says, oh, man, it's a fucking accident. It sucks. It's slowing up my commute. Then there's that, that small, devious side of you, what I like to call, you know, the, the, the scumbag side, that says, oh, man, maybe there's a head in the freeway. Th- there is. Th- th- that's how it is. People that watch MMA that don't watch the sport, they say to me, I've had people say to me, oh, man, now they're going to fucking sit there and, 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 and lay on the ground for 20 minutes. When is somebody gonna? When is somebody's jaw gonna get broken? Or when is when is somebody gonna get their leg broke? I, I'm like, look, this isn't this isn't Tong Po fighting Van Dam and kickboxer. Nobody's dipping their hands in glass. You know, there's not gonna be any kind of, of crazy shit. It, it it's exactly what it is. It's mixed martial arts. But to the casual fan, that's the problem that you're you're you've given them so many awesome violent fights, and you know they they rely on YouTube so much. That when they watch a card that doesn't deliver that level of violence, they're like, "Oh man, this card's bullshit." 
and they get all bent out of shape and all pissy. But for those of us that watch it, that have been watching it for years, we may think, oh, man, this card was amazing. It had it all. That's what. That's the problem. You got to market those fights. You got to market those fights on, on, on Fox exactly like that. Like Ben Henderson and Nate Diaz, those guys are going to go in there and beat the shit out of each other. Those are the fights you got to put on Fox. Simple as that. You got to put in fights like Alistair Overeem. If he doesn't fight for the belt and he comes back, he should fight on Fox. Because you know you're going to get some nasty strike, some elbow, some liver kick, and somebody's just going to keel over. Those are the fights yeah, you have to give. Get really, really sloppy, and they're going to be hugging. Right, it, it, <laughs> it, it can go one way or the other, but you got to take a gamble with those fights on public television because that's the only way that you're going to grasp those people that look at it like a car accident. <laughs> it, it, hey, they did one thing right. Uh, Any time, and hopefully, this guy is now only going to be on main cards, either pay per view or 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 Fox. Uh, but Joe Lozon has to be featured. You have a guy 22 wins, 22 stoppages. You have to feature that guy always on the main card because that's who the fans deserve to see fighters like Joe Lozon. Yeah, I mean, on Fox, not that every Fox fight has to be this super-duper action fight, but if the main event isn't going to be, yep. you need to have a Joe Lozon on your card. You need to have a Melvin Gillard fighting a scrub. You Absolutely. Need, you need to put Melvin Gillard on the card fighting, like, some random dude that's just got in the UFC so he can knock him out violently. Like, you have to have these type of people build up the card. And if the main event sucks, I mean, most most of champions don't have really bad fights. The, the current crop of champions, you're not going to see a lot of them mm-hmm. laying on anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. so I just, I just, that's true. I don't know. They, need to, they need to reassess what they do with the cross cards. Yeah, they, they do. I mean, put the perennial, like Cerrone, uh, Cerrone, Donald Cerrone, another guy. You know, yeah. it's impossible for that guy to be in a bad fight. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, Anthony Pettis, another guy. I mean, they got the guys. So it's just stunning some of the pay-per-view choices they've done. You know, like Czech Congo. This guy, other than when Pat Berry had him half unconscious, like you meant, you know, you guys had mentioned on 148. Um, you know, unlike, when, you know, unless when he's half unconscious and swings and knocks the guy out, he is a horrendously boring fighter. How could you ever throw him onto a, a co-main event of a, of a pay-per-view and, and expect not to get your, you know, uh, your ass kicked, uh, you know, by the fans. And the saddest thing about the Czech Congo villain is every time you hear about Czech Congo, he's this amazing striker. Who is Czech Congo knocked out on the feet? Oh, my God. Yeah. Absolutely nobody. nobody. I'd, rather watch, I'd rather watch paint dry than watch a Czech Congo fight. I'd rather, I'd ra- really I'd rather watch Congo an orgy of cats. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Well, let's get a uh, let's get into this UFC card. I want to pluck a, a couple of fights, not to not to um, beat up the entire card, but I want to talk about <laughs> Jake Shields and Ed Herman. First of all, for, <laughs> I, I, that's what I was waiting for. Thank you, Ben. Um, Jake Shields and Ed Herman's fight after it was done. I, I this is I didn't hear I didn't hear the winner. I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear a post-fight interview. I just heard this. <laughs> it was just the wind sucked out of my sails for that fight. I'm like, what the fuck happened? What happened? Ed Herman has napalm in his fists. Jake Shields has great Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Where the fuck did it go wrong? Where? Well, <laughs> with Jake Shields, 
there was a lot of fights where Jake Shields does exactly what he did to Eric Harmon. Oh, my God. And, and I found it absolutely hilarious. This is what I found hilarious about the UFC. They will market a fighter that's not always that exciting and act like he's the most exciting guy in the world. Yes. You need to be straight over saying, this dude is a wrestler, he's a grappler, he's going to get him down, and he's going to wear on it. Like, say something like that. Don't be like, oh, this is going to be a barn burner. Jake Shields ain't been in no barn burners. When do you even get in a barn burner? Jake Shields can't mean strike. All he's going to do is take you down, and if you give up submission, he's going to take it. Outside of that, Jake Shields' fights kind of look like this. And I don't think he's going to do anything in 185. I don't think he can beat very few people. I, I just don't. I don't see who, who he's going to beat to get to the title like he wants to. I don't see... Out of the top ten middleweights, I don't see which one he beats. I was I was severely hurt by that fight, only because I like Ed Herman. He he has a great story. He's a he's a tremendous athlete, and usually he comes in there slinging slinging heat. And then I'm watching Jake Shields using you know the John Fitch Ben Askren offense, and I'm like, okay, not not that I not that it's a shocker like Ben was saying. But I'm like, your your fight is being booked pretty big, you know. You're the you're the third you're the third you know you're the third fight. You're, well, you're the the fight before the co-main event, man. And this is what we're getting: smother and cover. <laughs> you couldn't even finish him. You can if you're gonna lay on him like a like like a butter square on a pancake, at least choke him out. Give me something. Send me home happy. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> I have to say, but about Jake Shields, um, he has one of the more fascinating, I love stats, and he has one of the more fascinating records in an MMA with regards to stoppages. Um, here's a guy with 35 fights. He's got 10 total stoppages. Um, he went, here's the really odd thing, where I think part of it is if he really wanted to get stoppages, you know, I think he, he can if he really took the chance and the effort. Because back in, you know, after he fought, uh, he, he finally broke through to a certain extent um, in 2006, believe it or not. And I remember him, you know, he fought in Hawaii um, uh, in a big tournament in Hawaii that was actually televised. Uh, Rumble on the Rock. Exactly. And, you know, so he won that. He beat Carlos Condit in a unanimous decision. And what after that, people were saying that, you know, and inner, you know, inside MMA folks, that he's a good fighter, but he needs to have stoppages. Well, he went and reeled off from 2006 to 2009, eight consecutive stoppages. So if you look at that, the man's got ten stoppages in his entire career of 35 fights, and in one eight-fight stretch, he has eight of the ten. So now he's back on to like seven, eight fights again in a row in, in, you know, just in decisions and getting, and, you know, it, it just seems almost in, incomprehensible that someone can get eight consecutive stoppages and then in 35 fights, you know, or, or if you take it out, uh, what is it, uh, 27 fights have two complete, two stoppages. So part of it, or a lot of it really is, frankly, he's just not even going for stoppages at this point. And is it because of lack of confidence? You know, he's not as confident. Who knows? But you have to think, after what happened at the, you know, the other pay-per-view card where Dana went off his rocker, that 
any guy who would put on a boring fight in a subsequent pay-per-view card, especially one that was so close, you know, at this point, is just not willing to take chances. And that's all. Uh, that's what uh, Jake's issue was. He's not willing to take chances, even if it means again, uh, you know, he frankly he he could win from losing sometimes if you put on a good fight, you know, but uh, but lose. He just doesn't want to take a chance. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't want to take a chance. I don't want to spend my money to watch him anymore. He, I, I gotta agree. I mean, yeah, that's I Jake. Jake Shields has become and 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 as and as terrible as it is, you know, and, and once again, I will reinforce the fact we are not analysts. This is what we're seeing, and it's based on opinion. The fact is that Jake Shields has become a point fighter. He know, you know, it's like the judges look at top top position. They look at strikes from top position, even if there's strikes that aren't hurting. They look at stuff like that instead of looking at the overall body of the card. And sure, you know, Ed Herman, he went, he tried, he tried, Ed Herman tried to make it look good. You know, he, he, he looked really good in the first round, mm-hmm. but it, it didn't end favorably because the judges aren't well-versed in MMA. This is, this is something that, you know, Ricardo Almeida has talked about at length and a lot of other uh, fighters have talked about judges being well-versed in MMA to judge fights. And I think this is one of those reasons. And honestly, I'd like to see, and, and some people have, have been clamoring for this, and I kind of have to agree, the yellow card system. I would love it. The pride yellow card system love it. would stop that mm-hmm. shit immediately. Get your butter pat ass off this dude and let's fight. I would so love that. Ben, what about you? I, I would love it. The yellow card, I think, would be good. But it didn't necessarily stop boring fights in Pride. Like there was still some boring fights in Pride. Right. But it did. It, it eliminated. Way to go about doing. No, go ahead. Go ahead. There's a way to go about doing what Jake Shields was doing, without making it so obvious you're not right. to finish. Yeah, point like, fighting. There's a, there's a way to go about doing it that he wouldn't have got a yellow card, but he just doesn't doesn't try to do that. Which is crazy because he trained with the Diaz brothers and Gilbert Melendez. Like, I don't even understand how they all train at the same gym and you get him and then you get those three. I, I, don't, I don't understand that at all, but... Well, it's like having... Do what he was doing without. It's like having four kids, three of them turn out football players, one of them turns out to be a water boy. It's just the way shit works. But, um, you know, I was, I was, like I said, disheartened. But it redeemed itself with your boy that you mentioned, Melvin Gallard. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit that that fight. It was like Gallard is a killer and he just comes out the only problem with him and he knows he knows he's got the skill set. He knows he's got all the tools, but he goes in there a little too reckless. Like I love that to a degree, but Holy shit, man. It's like you rush in there, you catch him. And then it just it just completely falls apart with Cerrone just catching him with that leg. I was like, oh my god, you know, because I'm like, how did you get wobbly and then eat that right hand when you dropped him initially and it looked like he was hurt? But that's the beauty of the sport. But of course, armchair analysts and and you know fickle fans all of a sudden, oh Melvin Gillard fucking sucks and blah. blah. The guy's thirty and ten. While you're home jerking off with Sears catalogs, he's in the gym conditioning and becoming a better fighter. Like, these fucking fans kill me with that shit. 
<laughs> yes, it's it's really annoying with the whole way people talk about Melvin Gillard. Like he he's a scrub. Like I think was it a year and a half ago? This dude was on like a five six fight win streak. Mm-hmm. Like he is one of the better lightweights in the world. Right outside, probably right outside the top ten lightweights. I don't think he'll ever win a title. That being said, that fight showed you why Donald Cerrone is Donald Cerrone. Yep. Melvin Lamar is probably the hardest puncher in the lightweight division. Donald Cerrone survived that. Caught him with a head kick that caught him grazingly, which surprised me that it even shook him up that the way it kind of great. Because Melvin Lamar has never been knocked out. And right. for that, that head kick to hit him and shake him up like that. And then Donald Cerrone followed up with a very, very good punch and won the fight. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with MMA armchair quarterback MMA people because most of the time it is. But Melvin Millard is going to win a whole lot more fights in the UFC than he's going to lose. Will he ever hold the title? No, but he's still a really good fighter. And I don't. I it annoys me when people act like this dude a scrub. It just it really annoys me. I absolutely could not agree more. Could not agree more. First off, if you look at Melvin's. <clears throat> Bat, who he's fought, he has fought a who's who. I mean, you know, obviously he just fought the Cowboy, uh, Jim Miller, Joe Lozon, Shane Roller, Evan Dunnan, Jeremy Stevens, Nate Diaz, Gleason Tebow, Dennis Seaver, um, you know, Joe Stevenson. I mean, it's just, the list goes on and on. And, you know, when you fight guys like that, you're going to have losses. But the fact is, you even even these idiots who call him a scrub, which he's the farthest thing from, He's extremely competitive. You know, he, uh, you know, obviously he makes mistakes, but that makes excitement. You ask any of them, hey, his Melvin Gillard fight is coming on. Are you going to be sitting there and watching it? And, you know, if they're being honest and not just being assholes, they're going to say, yeah, hell yeah, because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, um, it's, all you know is that it's not going to be boring. So that's why Melvin Gillard uh, can lose, as far as I'm concerned, six, seven fights in a row, and he should never be cut. Because he's always exciting, he always can, you know, win it. Look at the Evan Dunham fight, you know, where he took out a, an extremely, um, you know, uh, surging Evan Dunham. So he has the capability of pulling an upset. Um, he Dennis Eber he beat, uh, but again, this guy is what who the FC, you know UFC needs, win or lose, because he's always in a good fight, and ultimately that's what the fans want—a good fight. I would, yeah. I would put Melvin. Uh, I would put Melvin Gillard in the same camp as I put a guy like Melvin Manoff. If you guys have seen him fight, oh, I would say same camp. Per se, because yeah. Melvin is way more skilled than Manoff is. Oh no, yeah, but I'm just saying from the aggression, you know, from the aggression yeah. and coming oh. in there, ready to bang yeah. it out, dude. Absolutely, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's well. I mean, if you see H Net, the stuff he does in Japan. I mean, Melvin Manoff. Uh, again, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a great comparison as far as his fights. Like, you know, normally they're just going to end in the first round, whether he wins or loses. And he normally always, you know, gets in a shot and then, you know, just gets caught. And that, uh, but you're right. I mean, Melvin Manoff, love him. I'd love to see him, you know, come here. Uh, because also, never in a bad fight. Yeah, well, the reason yeah. I say that, you know, Mel- Melvin Melvin Manoff said in, a, in an interview, he goes, I live for this shit. And, <laughs> and you know yeah, what? And and you know what the the beauty of it is? Melvin Gillard falls in that same category. Here's a guy, you know, he's 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 been through some rough patches, but he lives to go out there and fight. He doesn't give a shit. 
You know, he goes out there, he lays it on the line, and yeah, you know, he may run in and do something crazy, but it's not like he's running out there with the, with a lot of guys that run out there and they swing for the fences hoping they connect. Melvin Gillard goes in there ready ready to put somebody's head on a spike every time. And, you know, sometimes sometimes it blows up in your face, but you know what? That's what, ma- that's what makes people become fans. Guys that go out there and you know they're, 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 they're dialing it in 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, hey, what about the Cowboy? Uh, you know. Oh, well, he's, uh, he delivers consistently all the time, dude. I just, I'll never understand that Nate Diaz fight, uh, you know, just what happened there. If, I, I just think it was he got caught early and I just never couldn't recover. But I thought he beat Diaz. I was shocked about that, that he got so dominated. Yeah, I, I thought he was going to beat Diaz, too, because he's just a more uh, traditional smooth striker. Yeah, but I mean that's that's an idea for you. Yeah, you can't dodge that. I'm pretty sure he broke his jaw. Yep. I think in that fight, yeah, he broke his jaw. So, and and you can see that kind of affected him throughout the rest of the fight. So. Absolutely. You can't Absolutely. dodge the Stockton slap. <laughs> that's how that's how that works. Which leads me to, of course, the the lightweight fight, which you know everybody's talking about it being controversial, and it, you, you want to know how you avoid quote unquote controversy. You put somebody to sleep, or you or or you choke them out. That's it. Otherwise, there's always going to be controversy because everybody's going to view the fight differently. Don't get me wrong. I saw Edgar being real aggressive, and if you guys had checked out the fan page that night, I said, I said, I said, Bendo, you're killing me. You're killing me. Because you know, as soon as the fight started, Edgar went in there going going to work, and then you know, Bendo started kind of getting his groove and putting some really nice combos together. It, it, you know, it was rock'em, sock'em robots from start to finish, which was nice. But like anything else, if you don't want, if you don't want any uh, third-party commentary, then you got to win decisively. The fight was very close, and, it, you know, it maybe, and this is something that I talked about with a couple of guys that were more casual fans, and they were like, well, maybe Dana wanted Bendo to win just because he's oh, tired of dealing with Edgar's bullshit. You know, which what Edgar bullshit? Well, I mean, (laughs) well, you, you, this is this is again. I'm talking about casuals, and I, and that's exactly what I said. I'm like, but how is it bullshit? Well, you know, every time the guy, every time the guy loses, he wants a rematch, and and you know, people are getting tired of seeing the same four guys on a card. And I'm like, all right, but you can't dis, you can't dispute ability. You know, if the guy, if the guy lost, he's gonna want to try and get that belt back. It's a no brainer. The only thing I didn't like was what, you know, that, that whole thing that Dana said where, oh, you know, well, if Bendo loses, he doesn't get a rematch. It's like, the fuck, man? You know, like, I well, kind of I didn't like that, but I, I realized that it's like you got to move the division along and not for nothing, yep. whoever fights Nate Diaz, is, it's going to be a war either way. Like, you're getting, you're going to get a, you know, a, an instant classic with that kind of a fight. Yeah, to, to respond to the Edgar, I'm doing Edgar bullshit, He's only lost one time for those rematches. BJ Penn got a rematch because of BJ Penn. Right. The Great Manor fight was a draw, and then he knocked Great Manor out. And he, because he gave those two dudes rematches, he got a rematch, which I had no real problem with. I mean, nope. I, I would have liked for the division to move on, but I have no problem with the rematches. Nope. That being said, uh, getting into the fight, I personally thought Frankie won. I thought he won all the last four rounds. I, um... Uh, I thought he did a little bit more. I thought clearly Benson Henderson won the first round. And then the next four rounds, I thought Frankie Edgar did a little bit more to win. 
that being said, I don't think it was a robbery or anything like that because nope. it was a very, very close fight. Definitely not so, a robbery. Yeah, I don't, I, I've, I've seen that all over mm-hmm. It was a robbery. I don't think it was a robbery or just some kind of fix. Like, that's, it, it's, that's idiotic. But, yeah, I, I thought that Frankie was a little bit crisp for a boxer. Um, there was a lot of Vincent Henderson loading up on shots, missing, and then Frankie countering them. The only problem with Frankie's style is he doesn't, for the most part, hurt dudes. Not because he's smaller. This is not. He doesn't throw with a whole whole lot of power. Um, and I think the judges were like, "Oh, well, he's not really hurting Benson." But every time Benson hit him, there was movement because Benson's a huge lightweight. So I just, I just thought that that was the real difference to the judges is is the power differential, which I don't think is necessarily what you should be judging on. Um, but that's who I think Benson Henderson won the fight. Before, no, no I, I agree. Um, uh, I, I also, I mean, I, I thought, you know, I, I thought Edgar had the edge, but I agree too. It, it certainly was not a robbery. Uh, I mean, just even the, you know, which you can't really all the time go by fight strikes, but you know, even that was very close. You know, people may say, oh, uh, Edgar outlanded you know, what by four punches. I mean, it differs from. It seems like these different metric fight metrics differ, but it's always very close. So. Um, you know, it just comes down to, to me, it really came down to the fourth round. And two of the judges gave, you know, uh, Henderson the fourth round. And I really think Edgar really won that round. So, to me, I, I just don't see how the judges could have given that round, you know, to Henderson. Um, so, I, I, I do think, again, I I did think Edgar won, but very close fight. And I totally agree the same But you guys said that, um, you know, he should, you know, he uh, he could take it a chance and uh, really try to, uh, uh, you know, take it out of the judges' hands. And the other thing I say is sometimes, you know, uh, you know, uh, was it living uh, on the edge? Uh, he very much locked out in the first BJ Penn fight, which frankly he lost. I thought it yeah, was clear. It, yeah, and he got a very, very, very big gift in that fight. Second fight, he obviously he was phenomenal against BJ Penn. But you know what, Frankie, you got the greatest gift. You got the actual championship on a ridiculous decision. So you know what, if you end up losing a much closer fight, you still came out on top because he became a champion on a on a ridiculous decision. So I, I really don't feel bad for you. Well, one thing one thing I wanted to add to this fight, and and I, and I just I saw the shades of it. Frankie Edgar, they 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 use it in in pieces that they write about him. But him and Bendo was Rocky and Apollo. Because Edgar goes in there, takes a, takes a licking, takes some, some crazy shots, comes yeah. back, boom, boom, boom. Bendo comes back, and then it goes to the judges. And again, it, it, as cliched as it is, you know, the, the champ won. And it, sure, we, everybody would, would we get a rematch and, and the result would be different? Maybe. But the parallels are there just in the way Edgar fights. It's not just a moniker that they use in articles. I always feel that Edgar goes in there like fucking Rocky. You know? <laughs> hey, by the way, here's a trivia question for you guys. I'm sure you probably know it, but talk about Rocky and what you said. Uh, do you remember what Apollo Creed and Rocky said to each other at, right after the bell rang, uh, after their first fight? Um, I haven't seen that movie yet forever. Uh, <laughs> Apollo Creed said, ain't going to be no rematch. Ain't going to be no rematch. And Rocky said, don't want one. Well, you see, huh. it, it's funny It's funny that that's the way it went because 
you know, you look at that that fight and you'd think, hey, this has rematch written all over it. Obviously, to move the division along, we're not going to get one. But Frankie Edgar really does go in there to fight like Rocky sometimes. I'm like, oh, dude, I, you're really taking some serious shots here. What are you doing? You're killing me. But um, yeah, he, I, he needs to work on that. Yeah, <laughs> eating eating that many shots, dude. He gives me gives me the heart palpitations. But um, before we move into the MMA news, I uh, Slick told me that um. Uh, a friend of Gary's is on the line. Who? Mr. Ice. Oh! What? Friend? Who's a friend? Friend? <laughs> What's up, Mr. Are, Ice? We are like Abbott and Costello. We, we hate each other in real life. It's just I for just, the screen. Spill yeah, bag. Like What's up? For the year. <laughs> of course we're kidding. What's up, yeah. Spill bag? Ah, I was just listening in, and I, I was going to pipe in with my, uh, you know, joke that if uh, fights only lasted one minute, Melvin Gillard would be the world champion. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Sad but true, man. That that minute, that minute he comes out, man. It, it it's like any anybody who fights him is like, all right, I just gotta hold on that first minute because he he usually comes out laser fist. It's like, and then it's like if you weather that, you you might be good. You might. Well, that's the thing. I'm not I'm not judging the guy. I, nope. I think he's an exciting fighter. I like him. Uh, I enjoy watching him, but it's sort of like he comes out being one of the best in the world, and after the first round, he drops down to mid-tier, like, you know. <laughs> he, uh, the, adren- <laughs> the adrenaline dump takes over, but you know what? Spill bag while you're here. Um, you know, we gotta, we're got we going to run into uh, the segment till about 12.30, so I wanted to go through the MMA news so you can help us out with that, if that's okay with you. Uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want to steal any Gary's thunder. Oh, no. Yes, I do. No, <laughs> no, you do. But no, let's, uh, no it's, it's nice to have sure. you guys. And uh, Spilled, uh, Ben writes for us. He does our MMA columns. So it's good that you guys get to meet, you know, not face-to-face, but, you know. Yeah, phone-to-phone. Phone. There you go, phone-to-phone. Phone. But um, in some of the MMA news this week, I wanted to talk about uh, first thing that I wanted to really get everybody's opinion on. Junior Dos Santos, of course. Uh, pushing hard to fight over him. Turns out he will be fighting Kane uh, December 29th. And Overeem, of course, will, I'm assuming, fight the winner of that post-suspension. How do you guys feel about that? And I'll, I'll start with Ben first, with, with Kane just getting the shot and not cow, you know Dana not kowtowing to Dos Santos' demands for Overeem. Well, besides the fact that Overeem may not even be able to fight until the beginning of next year. Right. Uh, I think Kane, more than Overeem, stands a better chance. Even though he got knocked out the first time, technically neither one of them physically were really good for that fight. I think Kane did something to his knee and something else was wrong with Junior Santos. But um, I, I, I think that Kane uh, deserves it more than Overeem does. And Overeem fucked himself over by doing whatever it was, injecting himself with whatever he injected himself with, because apparently <laughs> he doesn't know, uh, which would probably horse steroids. But whatever he injected himself with, he fucked it up, because he was supposed to fight him on the car with Frank Mir, so now he has to get in line and wait to everyone gets like All this pushing for is just not, it's not going to, there's nothing going to come of it. Spilled, what about you? Yeah, I kind of agree. I, th- I think it's it, it, obviously it's not even practical from for the sense of how long uh, you know Overeem's going to be out. 
to keep him on the shelf for that long. So I, I don't know. I kind of think Dos Santos thinks that uh, Overeem's a more winnable fight, quite frankly, uh, mm-hmm. despite how it happened last time with Kane. I mean, Kane, uh, I saw Kane brutalize Bigfoot Silva. And, uh, you know, after a performance like that, I think, you know, he's the guy. And I, I, I we, we really didn't get to see that fight the first time, you know. Yeah, well, there and were I'm Fox really jitters. I'm curious how, how it goes over a, a longer stretch, you know. I think Fox jitters had something to do with that. What do you think, Gary? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, you know, as far as – I'm sorry, I, what Spill mentioned, I, I agree that Junior probably sees Overeem as a lot easier fight. Um, you know, the Kane Velasquez, you know, who he beat, um, uh, you know, again, it was to a certain extent a fluke. As far as they didn't, he didn't really dominate him for like two or three rounds and then take him out. But you know, rather just landed, a, you know, a great punch and he could, he could do it again. But if he doesn't, I mean, Cain Velasquez is a fantastic, obviously fantastic fighter um, who really has skills to beat Junior Dos Santos. So just from a matchup on pure skills, much better fight. Uh, Overeem, I'm sorry, like 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 Ben mentioned, he, he screwed up. He screwed, you know, it's his fault that he, you know, wherever he is right now. And um, he should just, uh, no way on earth should he get a title shot um, in front of uh, Cain Velasquez just because the champion asked for it. That's ridiculous. Fair enough. Uh, two, other, two other things I wanted to go into. Dana White, of course, fight week. You know, he always says something that ends up becoming major news. If you remember, he was kind of pushing for Frank Yeager to drop down to 145. He'll fight Jose Aldo, blah, blah, blah. Well, now things have changed, it seems, and this is what he said. I think Frankie would have to fight somebody at 145 before getting a shot at the title. We've got all these backed-up titles right now. I don't want that backed up. If I know Frankie's going to go, he's want to go, he's going to want to get in there right away. And then, of course, he, he went on to say that the ball is in Edgar's court regarding the weight class. He's proved that he can stay at 155. Um, you know, he's a, he's a monster. He'll be a monster at 145. And... I, I this is the kind of shit that annoys me because it's like you're you're jonesing for the dude to go down to 145 like yeah man you'll fight Jose Aldo and blah 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 and now it's like nah he's he's gonna have to fight somebody else at 145 first it's it's like well, dude what well, the, the fuck man well the reason I think he's saying that is he just lost twice you really don't want let's say he beats I mean I don't think he beats Jose Aldo but let's say he drops down and wins. Then you have a champion who didn't deserve his shot in the first place. He lost those fights. Well, he, he, regardless of how we feel about the last fight, he lost those two fights. So you can't really just be like, okay, you lost two fights, drop down, we're going to give you another title shot. Well, no. I, not, you're, you're, you're right with, with, that, with that assumption. I'm just saying it from the, from the standpoint that he baited him to drop to 45 initially. You get what I'm saying? With with the whole drop to 45, I'll give you Aldo. Now, it's like, drop to, you know, go ahead, you can still drop to 45, but you're not going to get Aldo. You see what I'm saying? That's kind of like, that's the part that kind of irks me, just because it's like you dangled that carrot, and now you really don't. It, I understand why, obviously, in, 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 in common sense terms, why, but you get what I'm saying? Just from dangling the carrot that way? Yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but... I mean, 
it, it makes more sense for him to take a fight. Plus, you don't really want to make that weight cut, and you don't know how your body's going to react. They didn't go in there with Jose Aldo. That's not the person you want to be testing out going to a new weight class. <laughs> so it actually helps him some. Because that, that ain't the dude you want to just, hey, I don't know how my body's going to react. Okay, well, I'm just going to whip your leg off and beat you with it. Like, it's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to. No, that, that makes sense. You want to test that out with. That makes sense. Like I said, I just don't like the dangling carrot mentality that he uses. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, if you're not going to give him the shot, then don't don't say nothing. Just be like, dude, go down to 145. You see what I'm yeah, saying? He, like, he did he he did say that before Frankie lost two in a row. Didn't he so, say that after yeah. after the first after the first loss? Not after the you after know the first loss. He was like, you can drop down and get the get the title shot. Okay. Yeah, he said that after the first loss. He, he said if he drops down to 145, he'll get a title shot. Right. After the first loss. It, gotcha. See, it, it's, it's, still, it's still weird for him to come off a loss and then get a title shot, but it's less it, it's less controversial if he's coming off two straight losses and then you give him a title shot. All right. Well, to, to switch it up a bit right. now. Plus, I, there, were, there, were, there also wasn't as many uh, people waiting in line at that point. That That is also true. Well, oh, yeah, that was before the Korean Zombie became, you know, the number one contender. Well, to while while I while you comment on that, say he drops to one forty five, who'd you want to see him fight first, Bill? Um, probably Korean Zombie. Oh, not because Eric Coke is about to fight um, Jose Aldo whenever Jose Aldo fills up. Fills uh, uh, up. So I, I say Korean Zombie. I, that would be that would be a pretty good de facto. One more contender fight. You get him up against Koreans. I mean, winner that shows that. What do you think, Spilled? Uh, I agree. Gary? I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, I I, uh, I I agree. Though I have to say, um, I I'd love to see him fight Ricardo Lamas. Also, um, you know, I just think uh, he's coming off you know, three really good wins. And, um, you know, if, if it's not going to be the Korean Zombie, uh, who obviously is also coming off terrific, three terrific wins, uh, I'd love to see Ricardo Lamas then, uh, you know, get the shot. Because I, I think he's a really underrated fighter, uh, or at least underappreciated right now. So him fighting Frankie Edgar, I think, could give him the shot at finally getting some attention he deserves. I would have I said, and, and, you know, he's not in the division anymore, but, dude, Frankie Edgar Uriah Faber would have been a problem. <laughs> That would have been a good fight. That would have been a really good fight. That would have been bananas, dude. At that, at that weight class with Edgar and, and Faber, holy shit. Hey, absolutely. And uh, by the way, the other guy I did not sleep on in that division, uh, who I've loved uh, yeah, really from the first time I saw him fight, uh, now he's on a two-fight winning streak. His streak is uh, Charles Oliveira. So, uh, oh, you know. Yeah. Bronx. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, don't. Uh, I mean, obviously he moved up ill-fatedly and. Jim Miller and you know and Donald Cerrone, but now at that this weight, then he's fighting Cub Swanson, I think next. Uh, uh yeah, um, one fifty one. Yeah, exa- exactly. And uh, the only thing issue of that is Cub Swanson's a great fighter, and all anybody remembers about him, or at least I do, is you know the insane loss he had against Jose Aldo. So you know it's going to be tough to you know it, it's going to be tough if that's who if if he's trying to eventually fight Aldo, uh, it's going to be a tough fight to. Uh, try to recreate in his own in his own way but uh you know it's it's still gonna be a really good fight and uh he's he, to me he's the, still the big sleeper in that division okay yeah um 
last two last two bits of news. Mayhem Miller. Holy shit. Uh. You know, D- Dana Dana was talking about the little the little Twitter situation with him and he's like, you know, I like Jason, he's a little crazy, but he's got some stuff going on and blah blah blah. And then of course, boom, next day I'm naked in a church spraying a fire extinguisher <laughs> around. I you know, were you trying out for jackass? What the fuck was going on? I really hope he gets the <laughs> mental help that he needs because you don't do that. No, you. That's, you don't. It's not mischievous. That's not like, hey, I'm having fun. Like, no, that's that's you being a crazy person. Like, I, I really like from from different things I've read about him and different. I mean, I don't, obviously I don't know about him, but different things I've read about him and interviews I've heard. He literally he's on medis or he's on medication. He he's he has something mentally wrong with him and. I really hope he gets the help he needs, and I, and I think from everything I read, fighting kept him grounded. In reality, oh, and now that shit. he's not fighting anymore, it kind of trigger. It was a trigger effect. Yeah, he, he's not fighting anymore, so now he's more, more crazy. More <laughs> <or less>. Damn, <laughs> jeez. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, he almost reminds me of uh, uh, really one of the great fighters uh, who recently passed away. Uh, Johnny Tapia, um, who, I don't know if people remember Johnny, I mean, he's a fantastic Hall of Fame fighter, but always just, I mean, he was in so much trouble in his his life and had a hard, I mean, just a tremendously difficult life from his mother being raped and murdered when he was a child. um, And it it was fighting, really, that just, it was the one thing, obviously he also had a phenomenal life, but that kept him sort of sane. And I I think it's a great point, you know, of Miller, but it's just, you know, we, we got to know him so well on, you know, obviously the Ultimate Fighter, and also watching Bully Beatdown. You know, just I don't know. I mean, he never struck me as you know he's eccentric, but not not like off his rocker type crazy. And you know, I just wish him all the best because the other thing, by the way, is um, I remember. I mean, he's a nice guy. He actually was the only fighter who you know way back when when I first got an MMA gospel and, and Reverend Turk, you know, uh, was running the show. He was our guest. He actually came to Turk's house and did the show right from Turk's house. <laughs> Holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, and he was still pretty well known at the time. So, you know, just a really nice guy, you know, aside, you know, when you sort of just get past the, this, this crazy persona. So, you know, whatever his issue is, I, I really do hope everything eventually works out for him because he's a good guy. I mean, it's just a really sad thing. Well, yeah. it's it's you know, yeah. It's, you know, guys, I, I think I think you're uh oh you're uh, jumping to a lot of conclusions here. <laughs> uh, you know, J- Jason wanted to pray, okay? So he went into the church, and it was really hot in there. So we thought maybe there was a fire. So we sprayed the fire extinguisher. He was still hot, so we said, "Oh, uh, I better take my clothes off." It's, it's very simple. I mean, come yeah, on. But what guys. about the sp- what about the spray paint that? Uh, were on the, was on the walls. What was that done for? Uh, I, well, we don't know what he, he spray-painted. He might have said, I'm sorry for making a mess. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, left his address so that uh, they could you know, send him the bill. Oh, yeah, my exactly. God. No, I, I got, in seriousness, though, I, I agree with what everyone's saying. And, yeah, you know, all these interviews I've ever seen with Jason, you could go on YouTube and watch them now, and they're really prophetic because he constantly says, you know, I'm a, I was, I'm a messed up kid. I got all this energy, and you know, fighting is the one thing that 
you know, I go crazy, you know, and he even talked about when, uh, you know, with Strike Force, where he had his trouble with Strike Force, and he was out for like a year, you know, because they wouldn't give him another fight, how he, he said, I was just ready to snap, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> and now he's at a point where he's like, he's got to sort of reinvent himself. And, you know, obviously he has other talents and other skills, and he should focus on those. But I think, you know, fighting is what he's done since he's 17 years old. And you take that away from him, you know, add that to his oh, unstable yeah. personality. And who knows if he's, you know, been drinking or doing drugs, who knows. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's a recipe for a bad situation. And hopefully he, uh, he obviously he has a lot of friends and people who care about him, uh, you know, around yeah. him. So hopefully they'll, they'll keep him on the, the right track, you know. Yeah, I'm just laughing because I'm sorry. Just laughing because you know I'm, I'm reading up quickly on what happened, and uh, just to show like we're you know we care about and we wish him all the best. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's one Vince Fazio, who wrote a comment after one of the the Jason Mayhem Miller article, and uh, he sums up in three words: he's a putz. <laughs> <laughs> that that'll work. <laughs> speaking People are mean. They really are. Well. In, in in keeping with the theme of mean people, and and this, we'll we'll close out the MMA segment with this story, and that is Chael Sonnen's jump to two hundred five, which I talked about on the fan page, fighting Forrest in December, and and so the war of words begins with John Jones. It only took a few days to 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 really to really get under John Jones' skin. Now before before I I get your guys take on the situation. Uh, John Jones, young guy, has the world in front of him, Nike athlete. Dude, you should know this game. As soon as Chael Sonnen says, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a giant lanky bitch, he should just be like, yeah, go ahead, Chael. <laughs> you know, because he, he should know what's coming. It's like, you know, you know what's coming. As soon as he said, I'm going to 205 to fight Forrest, and Ben, ben can attest to this, what did I say? I'm like, dude, the buildup for that fight is going to be bananas. But... Clearly, he's already he's already poking poking the lion at two oh five. So, I'll, I'll start with Ben first. What do you what do you think of um, him getting in in John Jones's case already, and John Jones getting a little testy about it? Besides the fact that I believe Shell Sonnen would get beaten within an inch of his life, <laughs> let, let me let me preface this with this: In what way would Shell Sonnen win this fight? Like, he ain't answered to it. Does he really think he's gonna take John Jones down? What, what, in what world? What in what world does he not get choked from across the cage? I, I don't. Regardless, Chelsea is a caricature, as uh, Gary said earlier, of himself. And at this point, it's become so outlandish and idiotic because it was cool when you were winning, and it was cool when you beat up and over. But then you got meat in your chest. <laughs> you can't talk shit no more. Like just, just, just be a fighter. Like don't talk shit no more. Like just stop because this your act, it, it doesn't work when there's nothing to back it up. Like before he could back it up because he went on for three, three or four fights on the street. He beat Anderson Silva, completed the post for four and a half rounds. Then he went to one, two more fights. You, you can talk then. But then you lose. Then you jump to the vision to fight a dude that choked you out already. <laughs> and then you, you you poke the lion that is John Jones. Like 
John Jones right now is the best fighter on the planet. I think he'd be Anthony Silver. Well, for you to start with ahead. him right now is idiotic. I, I just think it's idiotic. And <laughs> I, I would I, love to see that fight, quite frankly. I'd love to see it because I don't think it would go well for Chelsea at all. Why? I know. I know why. I know why Spillbag is laughing, and um, that's why I let yeah. Ben go first. Uh, Spillbag, Spillbag interviewed Chael. For, um, I love Chael. Yeah, Chael's my yeah. buddy. Yeah, Chael, I love him too. I, you know, Chael, Chael is a funny guy, and that's why I wanted Ben to get that off his chest. Because John Jones, this is, this is the beauty of MMA. Chael Sonnen is a good fighter. Some may even say he's he's he he's up there. He's it, it, it's uh, it's up to interpretation. I feel he's a good fighter, and he has he has the potential Number to be two middleweight in the world, man. <laughs> there you go. So with that with that said, to poke John Jones, John Jones he he did it because he knew that the only way he can start like the Forrest Griffin fight was met with a tepid response. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, you want to fight Forrest in two hundred five? Yeah, that's great, and it's and it's a good fight. For pay-per-view, but honestly, who really gives a fuck about Forrest at this point? Not, not, not to come off as an asshole or as bitter because I like Forrest, but like honestly, it's like, dude, you beat Tito, you did your crazy running out of the octagon shenanigans. It's like, dude, you, no one cares at this point. Like, again, I love Forrest Griffin. If he retired tomorrow, I'd be bummed, but it's not the end of my fucking world. You get what well, I'm you know saying? Who doesn't- you know who doesn't care anymore, it seems, is Forrest himself. Right. So, you know, Chael, Chael realized, like, fuck, I, gotta, I, I basically got to sell this fight by myself. So, what's the easier target? Fuck it, I'll just call out the champion. I'm nowhere near fighting him, but fuck it. You know, the, what you're supposed to do in that situation is just ignore him. <laughs> I See, here's where, here's where I disagree. Uh-oh. A hundred million percent is if you look at what John Jones said on Twitter, he said that after he had, you know, the little beef back and forth, he said, those of you who think that Chael, I'm playing into Chael's game, you've got it wrong. I know that, you know, I mean, who else is going to fight John Jones? Gunderson, maybe? Yeah. Uh, Gusterson, I mean? Gusterson? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. So, I mean, <clears throat> he knows that... Chael is in all likelihood going to beat uh, Forrest, and he knows that, that Chael is a marketing machine. So John Jones is smart enough to say, I'll play this game. Let's play this game. Let's build this up so when it happens, because, you know, the odds are it will happen, it will be a huge thing. He saw how it worked with Anderson. He saw how he knows what Chael is doing, and he's like, game on. So, I, I, I and Chael is smart to do it, too. He's, he's it's been very successful for him. Yeah, you know, it's, and, and I find it extremely entertaining. Oh, dude, I love I, I, I love the shit out of it. Don't get me wrong. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just, but not to cut you off, Gary. It's just for me. No. It's like for all the people that are bitching, and that's why I said it the way I said it. It's like John Jones could have as easily as anybody just said, "Yeah, whatever, dude," and ignored it. But to reinforce what Spilled said, it's like. John Jones is a is a is a young smart guy to a to an extent to an extent just because you know he 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 knows how to play this game and he's and he's still maturing but he he probably said to himself fuck it let me let, let's play this chess game let's play it 
but he knows that he's not fighting him anytime soon. But let, let's keep it. Let's keep the, the idea out there. So I respect that. But for the people that are already bitching about it, it's like John Jones could have kept quiet and ignored it and made it go away. But by biting into that in, into that logic, you're creating something bigger. Right. And two, two, sorry to cut off Gary again, but two two things to to respond to that is I don't think it's that far away that Chael gets a title shot. I, I think maybe two fights. fights. So I don't think it's two fights. If, yeah, it could even be the next fight, but it could be you know Gustafson might get his shot first. I don't know, or don't they might they might have him fight. Maybe I I mean you're probably right. Certainly from a marketing standpoint, you want Chael to fight. But, uh, yeah, and the thing is, what did, what did, the way it started was Chael said, oh, he's, I could take his belt like I could, he's just a young kid, I could take his belt like. <laughs> like taking like Halloween take candy. candy. Candy from a baby. He called him a punk kid taking candy from a baby. <laughs> right? and, he called, and, he, and he called him a dork. Now, yeah. the only way Chael, have a problem. By Chael yeah. standards, though, that's really tame. Yep. And John Jones responded to that. Yeah, he did respond to being it. called a dork. So, <laughs> yeah, so I think he, I think, I think John Jones is, is in on what you know. I, I don't think he's reacting seriously angry. I think he's playing the game, you know, sort of consciously playing, playing into the marketing campaign. Yeah. Oh, I thought he's really angry either. The, the only problem I have with Chell is I don't have problem with people talking shit. That's fine. It's he's become a caricature of himself. Like, I found him really, like, in the build-up to the first Anderson's fight, I found him really, you know, cool. Like, oh, this dude's talking shit. But then it became, like, after the fight, it just went way, way out there, and it just kept coming and coming. You're like, when are you going to stop talking? Like, this is this is fighting. Like, it, it's almost a tail. It almost seems like now winning is not the most important thing to him. It, it, it seems to me like being the mouth is the most important thing to him. I disagree completely. I, I know winning is. I kind of I know the guy, and I think all he really wants is a belt. And I think if he gets beat by John Jones, I guarantee he will retire. Okay. Well, I, I guarantee. I you honestly think he believes that he could beat John? I do. Do I? No, I think I think he has a shot. I think it's a harder fight than Anderson. Yeah. No, no, but do you think I think what I he's been asking I, is I, I do you think Chell thinks he's going to win? I believe uh, I believe the Henderson fight is hard, and I think Henderson's going to get ripped up, and I think Henderson has a better chance of being John Jones than Chell does. What is Chell? The reason the reason I say Henderson has a better chance. Henderson lands an H bomb. You want to sleep? Point blank period. Though I don't think he ever went. Will land it. I think if he lands it, that's it. That's a wrap. Or he at least wins that round or, or something. Chell is no one near as powerful as Dan Henderson. No one near as good as a boxer, which is not saying a lot because Dan Henderson isn't a great boxer. He just has a really good right overhand right. No, I mean, I, I, agree, I, I, agree, com- I, I agree completely that I would put my money on John Jones in that fight. I just think, you know, it's still a competitive fight. It's still an interesting fight. Yeah. And it's I'm still a still, it's still a fight that, uh, well, is, is much in, in as much as the Anderson fight is competitive. Well, the fight with Anderson, no, no, the you Anderson know. fight is competitive. The reason I think the Anderson fight is competitive is because Anderson Silva is not a good wrestler. Anderson Silva is a terrible wrestler. 
I mean, that was shown in those two fights. John Jones is a, not, I won't say the best MMA wrestler, but he's the best wrestler at 205, period. Like, when he, when he did fight two wrestlers, he, well, three wrestlers, if you count Vladimir Masterson, none of them got anywhere near taking him down. Matt Hamill got tossed on his head, and Brian Bader got sprawled on in, like, a couple seconds. Like, it would take Chell fighting the best fight of his life, I think, to get John Jones down one time. Yeah, yeah. But not to mention also Rashad Evans, who's probably yeah. better than any of those other guys. Yeah, and John Jones as a wrestler. And Rashad doesn't even get anywhere near taking John Jones down. Yeah. And, and in his sub-defense, what's to stop John Jones from, let's say, Chell does what he normally does. He comes out, sets the pace, gets to the middle ring, bullies John Jones up against the cage, which I don't think he'll be able to do as easily. John Jones turns that around, gets that standing guillotine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but one thing, by the way, just that I just want to throw out there to keep in mind is that um, before Son, you know, maybe Son and, you know, I think he'll beat, obviously, Forrest, I think so, um, in December. But let's remember, John Jones has to first, obviously, he's got to win two big fights. He's got to beat Dan Henderson, and then he has to beat the Benicio Del Toro lookalike, um, who, frankly, is the only guy to take a round of him. I wasn't talking about Nishida. So true. He's going to beat me again. I don't even know. I guess you know, but they have to now. They're on the hook for it, and I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I I wouldn't bet the house on that. I really wouldn't. I. Okay, the first fight, I I, I give you. Machida did win the first round. I I don't understand because there were judges that gave John Jones the first round. I don't see how you do that. But in that second round, John Jones took him down, doubled him one time. Mm Caught him with a beautiful right hand. Like, people forget that he knocked him down before he submitted him. Caught him yeah. with that right hand and then tapped him. I, I think that a second fight between them would look very similar to the second round mm-hmm. of their first, first fight. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. But um, uh, And I do, obviously, I mean, I, like I said, I'm not betting the house on it, but I mean, I obviously yeah. think Jones will win it. But, you know, before Jones even thinks about Chow Sonnen, he's got Dan Henderson and Mashida. Two of the, you know, two guys who are the top of the division he has to fight. So, you know, it's like just the fact that he's now talking about Chalson and, you know, he can't look past these two guys he has coming up. I'm you know, just saying that. No, it's it's true. I mean, I don't think. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I, I was just going to kind of start bringing it full circle because we're uh, going into OT. But, um, oh. no, the, I was I, what I was saying was that I think. He he may just be looking past it because, like Ben said, you know, you're, you're 25 years old, man. You're the champ. You don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, you're, you're the most dangerous man on the planet. You're like, all right, I'm fighting an old guy and a guy who counter punches and drinks his own piss. I got this. You know, like like that, that's kind. Of, I think I think he's in that mindset where he's yeah. like, I need these big money paydays, which is something I talked about before with referencing Anderson Silva, you know, you get to a, 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 a stage where it's like, look, I just want money fights. And don't get me wrong, a fight with Hendo is a good fight. A fight with Machida is a good fight. A fight with Chael is buy-rate explosion money. Mm-hmm. That, that's well, all I'm saying. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, you know, but regardless whether the money, whatever the money is, he has to beat these two that's other right. guys. Of course. You know, and it's, yeah. I, I don't think he's looking past that. Anderson. I, I Quite the contrary. I mean, just because he said a couple things on Twitter, it just means he was watching that UFC Tonight show. That right. Doesn't mean he's looking past Dan Henderson. True. Like, I don't think he's looking past Dan. Henderson. Now, if he was fighting Machida again, I would not blame him for. I would blame him because <laughs> Machida is a very good fighter and could beat him. 
I don't think he would. Mm-hmm. But it could be him, but I don't think he's looking past Ann Anderson. I, I'm pretty sure John Jones is acutely aware. He gets hit with that big right hand, might go down. Stay away from mm-hmm. that. All right. I'm pretty sure he's acutely aware of that. Mm-hmm. Well, there you I'm go. Sure. I'm sure. I, I just want to say, regardless, I'm glad that Chael is still fighting. And I still agree. Retired. I, me too. Very glad the about sport that. needs him. I mean, it really does. And, uh, you know, just quick, I know we're, we're, we're breaking, but um, the difference between Ronda Rousey and Chael Sonnen, to me, is Ronda Rousey just puts out these ridiculous, like, going to kill somebody thing. Chael Sonnen <laughs> uses some extremely clever... Yes. As far as I'm concerned, you know, clever, uh, uh, you know, uh, quips, for lack of a better way to describe them. And to me, very few people can do that, and he's one of the rare examples. And, hey, the guy can fight, you know. Um, you know, forget, you know, the NFC. You know, he, he, he does absolutely have skills to back it up. Obviously, the silver fight, is, you know, uh, he had some, some issues there. But uh, let's not just forget that, uh, you know, this guy can back it up. Um, you know, to against most of the guys in the world, maybe not the upper upper echelon guys, but uh, you know. So I love him too. Like like Spill, I'm a huge fan. There you go. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up. Um, ben, of course, you can follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout89. Make sure to check out his newest article discussing UFC 150. Um, I'm sure he may have something for us regarding Strike Force. Anything else you want to add, Ben? Uh, no, just, uh, follow me and check my stuff out. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, gentlemen, of course, MMA Fight Insight Radio, bi-weekly, uh, Thursdays. It is 8 p.m. now? No, actually, uh, we're on 8.30 uh, p.m. Eastern Time, every other Thursday. Uh, so not this, uh, obviously not tonight, so a week from, uh, tonight, uh, we'll be on, uh, having very colorful, uh, fighter, Enoch Wilson joining us, uh, who's just is supposed to be an incredible storyteller, and actually a good friend of Chell's. Uh, nice. So uh, we're making some Chell stories as well. Cool. And of course, uh, you can follow Gary at MMA Talk Gary, and of course, at Spilled Bag of Ice. Anything you want to add, Spill? Uh, yeah, check out SpilledBagOfIce.com. I post all the uh, the uh, archives to the radio show and other stuff, so that's, that's where to, to look, and thanks for letting me crash the party, guys. Oh, yeah, you know I love you guys. We love them. It's not the same without them, so I'm very glad he called in. There you go. All right, guys, thanks for everything. I will catch you. Excellent. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You got it, brother. Thanks, guys. See you around. Take care. All right, guys, that wraps up the MMA segment. Like I said, you can follow Ben at Blackout89 on Twitter. Look for his work on MyTakeRadio.com, and feel free to interact with him on our Facebook fan page. Uh, Spilled Bag and Gary, you can follow them respectively at MMA Talk Gary on Twitter, and of course, Spilled Bag of Ice at Spilled Bag of Ice on Twitter. You can also go to SpilledBagOfIce.com, get all the Fight Insight Radio archives, plus some of the great writing that comes out of Spilled Bag of Ice's brain, because he puts out some crazy stuff, very talented guy. Uh, Make sure to check out both those gentlemen every other Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Blog Talk Radio. Let me bring in Brandon from Creaction. We're going to talk a little bit about Orovim just to switch gears a little bit, talk some gaming stuff. I know he's been on hold for longer than I anticipated, so I apologize. Let me bring him in. Brandon, what's going on? Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, how you doing, man? Nice to meet you. Thanks, Uh, man. Meet you uh, 
on the radio. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time. I apologize for the uh, lengthy hold time. We uh, get a little carried away. You know, things get uh, very passionate. Yeah, no worries, man. It's a, it's a passionate sport, MMA. So I understand when people go a little bit longer than anticipated. All right. So for those of you that don't know, uh, Brandon is the creative director for Orvim. Uh, their company, Creaction, sponsors our gaming segment, and they are the first crowdsourced RPG game launching on PCs. They are about 68% funded now. There's about ten, 9 or 10 days to go. And let's start, of course, with how you got involved with the project and how long you've been working on this project in general. Uh, Orvim itself has been a pet project of mine for a while. I mean, I didn't really have a name for it, and I had just had a lot of ideas. And it's been something that I've been playing around with for a number of years. You know, I, I went to school to make games and stuff, so, you know, I've always had these ideas in my head. But the project didn't really get started until the uh, producer kind of spurred me on, uh, Michael, who was on, you know, I think two weeks ago. Right. He kind of spurred me on, and he was like, hey, you know, let's just make this. And that's what kind of started the whole thing. Is, you know, I already had a lot of the basic creative work done, and you know, it just kind of spiraled from there. And you know, it became what it is now, which is you know, fully developed these game concepts, and you know, we're making it pretty cool. Well, you mentioned that you went you went to school, and you know, your your intention was to make games uh, for the, for those looking to get into gaming as a career. What what does that entail? You know, what what are the inner workings of some of that stuff, and what do you want to tell anybody that wants to get into that? Uh, the number one thing to do if you're looking to get into gaming as a career, uh, you don't even necessarily need schooling, although schooling does help because really what you get out of schooling is contacts. And in the entertainment industry, whether you're talking about games, film, or whatever, uh, contacts are really the most important thing. So. Going to school provided me with some contacts that I was able to kind of exploit to an extent and, you know, get people that can help me make games. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where you just got to get out there and you got to make games. You know, any, for anybody that wants to really do it, you just got to start making them. And it's hard to really get started unless you have programming experience or unless you have all the missing parts, you know, which are artists and programmers and designers and all the necessary things to make a, an actual game good. But even if you're just making something simple, just getting your name out there and getting a game out there that people enjoy is enough to really, really get your foot in the door. And then once you get your foot in the door, it's kind of all downhill from there because once the ball starts rolling and you start getting contacts, it gets really, really easy to kind of go from there and you know make it a career, which is what everyone really wants. How do you feel with regards to it being centered more about who you know versus the body of your uh, the body of work that you put out? Do you feel that it it really is better to leverage those contacts and then work on your skill set on the back end, or do you still feel that you should have a a firm base before you start kind of calling in favors? Uh, it's. It's kind of a little bit of both. You know, you, you have to, depending on everybody's situation. So, you know, if you're in a situation where you already have a job and it's not involved in gaming, you really need to exercise those contacts, keep in contact with them, and make something on the side. 
while ensuring that the contacts, you know, remain in contact with you. Not to use the word contacts 50 times, but it's just, it's, it's tough. And being in the entertainment industry, it's going to always be more about who you know rather than really what you know. Because no matter how good your ideas are, unless you can actually make a product or have someone vouch for you that has some clout, you're not really going to be able to do much outside of becoming an indie person. So in a, if you're an indie developer, you got to be just be able to put your money where your mouth is and, you know, make a game. So if you're going to go into the indie development cycle, then, you know, you don't really need to know a whole lot of people, but you still need contacts because you have to be able to, you know, publish the game and produce the game and get all the artists you need and all that stuff. So it, it's kind of the nature of the beast, sadly, but there are ways around it, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, I that wasn't even to put you on a spot. It's just that, a lot of times there's so many different routes people take to get into careers in gaming, especially when it comes to creating games. And now with the, the crowdsource mechanic and the kind of the spotlight on indie developers being the brightest it's been in a long time, everybody has a different path to get there. So the reason why I asked you is because you're creating a more, not to say a more complex game, but you're creating a more layered game. It's not like... Not to say that something like Angry Birds or, you know, Air Penguin or, or, or smaller games like that aren't as layered, but when you get into RPG territory, you have so many different factors, you know, character design, level design, combat mechanics, the overall flow of the game, how you want to um, visualize that game to the audience, whether you want to use the small sprites, you know, Zelda style, or you want to go bigger, a la Final Fantasy VII, so... For something so yeah. layered as what you guys are doing, it, it's, a, it's a totally different approach. It is. You're 100% right. And, yeah, I mean, you're right. Everybody takes a different path to get there. And it's really, you kind of have to go with what works best for you. So if you don't have a lot of contacts, well, then you got to find a way to make them. Um, or, you know, if you have the talent to do it yourself, which, you know, some independent people can do, then they just go ahead and make games straight up. And, you know, crowdsourcing and crowdfunding obviously help with that, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, in, in terms of game design for, for Oravim, what's a, what's, a, what's a typical day at, at Creaction for you guys? Like, how, how does it go from, from soup to nuts? Is it more uh, de- department-centric, like, you know, one day you're going to meet more so with the artists versus another day that you may meet with the voice te- versus with the voice team? How, how does that work out in terms of just the inner workings of, of bringing the game to life? Well, it, it really depends on whose workday you're kind of following. You know, if it's mine, you're in for something that's that's fairly hectic. You know, any of the high-level people, basically I spend most of my time on the phone answering emails and dealing with all the departments kind of simultaneously. Because of the way that we're doing the game, it's a lot of it is done concurrently. So, like, the story is being written as the game is being designed, as the art is being done. So, along with that, you know, there's a lot of random questions or random issues that come up that, you know, I have to deal with as a creative director. And the producer's got his own issues to deal with as well. And, you know, really, a basic workday for me or a typical workday for me is it's literally just making a lot of phone calls, doing a lot of text messaging, uh, answering a lot of emails, writing a lot of emails, and just making sure that everyone's good, that everyone's got what they need. 
and relaying information between the various parties. Um, it's mostly organized so that submissions are usually on separate days. So, like, you know, we'll expect an art submission on a Wednesday, and then we'll expect a writing submission on a Thursday. But, ah, okay. So you know, when issues come up, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of organized that way. But when issues come up, you know, things happen, you know, it's Murphy's Law, whatever can happen will, and... When that happens, you've got to be prepared for it and be ready to put out fires and answer people's questions, especially when it comes to the programming path. Like, a lot of issues come up that you didn't anticipate with bugs and stuff, and then, you know, you got to be available and ready to work on that and kind of put things on hold until issues get solved. Well, Luckily, that hasn't really happened too much yet. Well, that's that that's definitely a plus. I mean, going uh, going along with what you were saying, just meeting with each department... Uh, say for instance for for your voice for the voices in the game, how do you how do you go about getting the dialogue set up and establishing the audio for that? Do you have your voice talent record in house with you guys? That way you guys can kind of uh, build the world around their interactions, or do you or do they submit separate voice tracks? So the way that we do it is. We actually have the scripts already written for the parts of the voice actors. So when the voice actors come in to deliver their dialogue, they just basically go into the studio and they deliver the lines for that particular script piece. And, you know, that's it. We try to get as much done as we can in the day. But, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is basically written already with the proper intonation, you know, and I kind of direct them in accordance to what we need for that particular dialogue line. And, you know, on occasion we'll record us two different versions of the same line and such. But, you know, really that's that's the the basic way that we've been doing it is, you know, all of it's pre-written. They come in, they're given their lines a few, like a week before or whatever, so they're familiar with them. And they just deliver their lines and, you know, we just do it until we're happy with it and, you know, we put it in the game. And we're actually lucky to have... <laughs> An actor is one of our writers, and he's also one of our primary voice actors. So he's already familiar with the lines as it is. So he comes in and can, he can usually just like one take it, and that, which is cool. Well, with the all your voice talent, are your are your characters already designed by the time you get the voice talent? And the only reason I ask is because if you've seen how Disney movies are done, sometimes you notice that the Disney characters sometimes look or have elements from the characters that are portraying them. Yeah, all the characters designed before we even get the voices. So we're more looking for voices that fit the character rather than a character that fits the voice, if that makes sense. No, I, um, I understand completely. Know, as, yeah. So as long as the voice that's being given to us fits what we feel the character should be, then it's fine. So, gotcha. I mean, yeah, that's, that's really how we do it. Right, because sometimes... You see some of these some of these characters and and characters that are household names, and then you find out, hey, you know, like like this guy voiced it, and you see it, and you don't really see any any shades of the of the actor in the character. So everybody does it a little bit different. That's why I figured I'd ask. Um, you know, a, a great yeah. example is Nathan Drake. You know, he kind of resembles yeah, his yeah. actor. Yeah, I know. Um, a lot of the voices that Claudia Black does, her characters usually resemble her. Um, if you're familiar with her. Uh, a little bit. Like the, the British voice acting and stuff. And I noticed a lot of the characters that they create around her voice acting look a lot like her. They have the dark hair and they have similar features. And yeah, it's, it's really depending on who's making the game. You know, it, it's either 
I also think it's where you are in the development cycle. If you can afford to basically get people to write a character or create a character around the voice and you have that luxury, then that's awesome. You know, there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to do that. But really, it can go both ways, and I think either way is just as effective. No, that, that that's cool. I, I, I ask that because sometimes, like I said, you, you see so many different characters that don't match the voices that, that are given to them. But with, with you guys, you guys have it so structured, which leads me into the next portion, of course, which the, the crowdsourcing model and how beneficial it's been to you guys and, and getting you, getting you out there. Do where do you see crowdsourcing taking games as a whole? Do you see it as something that more people should embrace? Has it been something that's been, uh, not a success, but just something that you feel is a huge influence on the development cycle of any game that somebody has in mind. I honestly feel that crowdsourcing and you know crowdfunding and any variation thereof are almost essential to anybody who wants to create a game that's at least semi-successful. Um, because when you're getting input from the collective intelligence of the gaming community, or your game is being made by the collective gaming community as a whole, you know, in whatever capacity that may be, honestly, think you come up with better games. You know, you see a lot of these main AAA titles nowadays who really have seemed to lost focus with what gamers really want nowadays, you know. Not to hate on any particular game, but, I mean, I'm not, like, a big fan of a lot of the current, like, current-gen first-person shooters like Call of Duty and stuff. I'm sure that I'm, I'll get a lot of hate for that, but I just feel like, it just caters to the same audience that it's been catering to without really improving and doing anything other than iterating on the exact same model over and over and over again. And a lot of people are crying out for something different. And a lot of people like the fact that when you're making indie games and stuff, that they have input. And when someone is emotionally and intellectually invested in a game because they feel like they were part of it, it's automatically going to make it successful. Because even if you don't sell a lot of copies, you're going to get good press and people are generally going to be more happy with your performance because you listen to what they have to say. And that's a luxury that a lot of independent developers have that I think that they should honestly take advantage of. And a lot of them do. And, you know, that's partly why indie gaming is what it is right now because we have the luxury of doing that and a lot of people are taking advantage of it, especially with the crowdfunding. You know, if people are excited about something and they, they want to invest in your game, you know, through Kickstarter or whatever means necessary, you know, it's, it's a huge asset for indie developers because, you know, no matter what, we're independent. So we don't have a publisher to fund us. And while that allows us a lot of freedom when we're making games, because we don't have to fall in line with whatever a publisher's demands are, it also means that we have a lot of limited capital and limited resources. So, you know, getting information from the public and getting you know, getting to know what the public wants or getting funding from the public is it's just, it's almost essential. And, you know, I, I, I embrace it and I encourage anybody who's interested in making games to just embrace it with open arms and, you know, really take advantage of the generosity of the gaming public. No, I, to, to backtrack a little bit, re regarding that, I think that crowdsourcing opens up not only creatively the direction of the game but it also allows you to see what your audience feels that they're missing and to touch on what you said before exactly. 
there 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 are so many games that it's wash rinse and repeat a lot of times on the show one i you know i shit on madden a lot you know and i and mm-hmm. i say it oh you know it's roster update 13 because it's like you're paying 60 bucks you're you're playing the pretty much the, the same sport the the advancements in gameplay aren't taken to a level where you really feel that you're getting your money's worth from a, from a crowdsourcing perspective if people let's say they crowdsource madden some some guys may be like, hey, you know, we'd like to see more in you know injuries. Injuries happen in the game. Mm-hmm. We should we should be allowed to see that. Or maybe they want to see certain plays, certain things that just aren't put into the game that should be because they're part of just the real sport. That that kind of falls into the category where publishers just get comfortable cranking the stuff out. You gotta yep. look at you know first person shooters are a beautiful example. I mean, I, I like playing first person shooters, but if you reskin the the soldier in Call of Duty with with armor, you're still getting Master Chief. You know, if you reskin yep. him and you make him go invisible, you're still getting the guy from Crisis. And and that's the kind of mm-hmm. thing not not to detract from from the enjoyment of the games because they're fun, but the basic mechanics are still the same. You get guns and you shoot stuff. I mean, um, Bulletstorm yeah. kind of tried to to change it up a bit with you know, a little bit of combat mechanics and, and the combo kills and stuff. And that was kind of different, but you saw how that was met. Yep. And I mean, to me that, that kind of underlies an inherent problem in where the gaming industry is nowadays. And it's just with the economy and the state that it's in, people are not really willing to take risks on something that they're unsure the public will buy into. True. So as a result of that, you know, publishers and stuff, they're just like, oh, well, we know that we can sell, you know, 10 million copies of Madden in the first week, or we know we know that we can sell 15 million copies of Call of Duty in the first month. You know, whatever the case may be, they know that they're successful with that because it's tried and true, and they're unwilling to take risks. And, you know, part of it is because of the economy, and part of it is just because they've gotten comfortable with that model, because there's, there's really no there's no downside to it because they're still making buttloads of money on their big AAA titles. And it just, you know, it is what it is from their perspective. You know, they're, they're like, okay, well, why would we want to invest in something that we can risk not getting as much money in simply because we want to be more innovative? Well, screw innovation. Let's just go with what works. And right. that's one of the problems. And that's why people are drifting towards indie games more so every day. Well, you know, games like Limbo, games like Bastion are, are prime examples of that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because it's yep. it, and and people people they're so critically acclaimed for that reason because people are looking for something so unique. When I first put played the demo of Limbo, my first reaction is, "What the fuck is this?" You know, because it was so randomly yeah. strange. And then half an hour, forty five minutes passed. I realized I was still playing it. Um. Another game that falls into that category for me, the Dishwasher, uh, Dead Samurai, same thing. Just, just so different, so weird, but something that you enjoy. It doesn't have to be mind blowing graphics. It just has to be enjoyable. And I think a lot of games have lost sight of that to a degree. You know, people complain about endings and stuff like that. In the old days, you beat a game, you get thank you for playing, and that's it. Maybe you get some text, and you shut it off, and you you were entertained. Exactly. And I feel like the the core gaming community is looking for something more. You know, I'm not talking about the peripheral gamers who just buy the occasional first-person shooter or people who only play Madden and call themselves gamers. 
that's not really, you know, who we're talking about here. The people who are drifting towards what you just referred to are, you know, the real gamers, the people who are interested in, in interesting play experiences and, and, you know, useful ways to spend their time. Well, maybe not useful, but fun and interesting ways to spend their time. You know, you don't want to feel like, you know, you're just kind of working when you're playing a game. And to me, a lot of the stuff nowadays just feels like, ugh, like, why do I want to put time into this? Because I'm just going to have a new version in the next year or so, and it's going to be the same thing, looking better, with maybe a few extra mechanics. You know, big deal. Well, let's get um, let's get into one thing regarding that, and that is just what you were saying about games. That we all gather inspiration from somewhere for our creative juices. I listen to other talk shows. I follow a lot of mm-hmm. games. I follow a lot of stuff. Regarding Oravim and just the creative process, what 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 did you guys play or what did you guys cite? Not not as inspiration for the game itself, but just to get the creative juices flowing. What kind of stuff were you guys playing or or what kind of liter- books and and magazines you were looking at to get it to get that kind uh, of inspiration? You know, that's it's a hard question to answer and. You know, there's a lot of things that go into what inspires you to make a particular game or what inspires you to write a book or make a movie or whatever the case may be. You know, but with the game, obviously, mechanically, we're inspired by modern tactical RPGs, like, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics, who kind of made the genre what it is. And, you know, there's a lot of others, like, you know, Disgaea, name a few, uh, Tactics Over. There's a lot of games out there, mechanically, that inspired us to get the mechanics where they were and, you know, in, the, in terms of the battle system and such. But in terms of the world, um, I'm not even sure that I can really answer that because there's just, there's so many inspirations out there. Obviously you can cite like stuff like Lord of the Rings because, you know, Tolkien was one of the first dudes to really invent a lot of that sort of world. And as a result of that, you know, we've got a lot of stuff that we have today. I mean, Warhammer, kind of copied off of Tolkien's model and then, you know, you got Blizzard doing the same thing with, with their world, you know, World of Warcraft. It's it all comes back to Tolkien. Gotcha. So it's really yeah, in terms of what actually inspired us, it's it's tough to say. Um, you know, the characters are all based on what we thought would be interesting. You know, you the way we design the characters is, you know, you design it around an interesting interesting archetype but then you give it a unique aspect. So, you know, you have your, your usual strong female role, as an example. And then, you know, but she can't just be the generic strong female. You have to give her a flaw and you have to make her interesting. Gotcha. So, yeah, inspiration is just, it's all over the place. And it's, it's really, I could, yeah, I mean, I could go on for days about what inspired us. But, uh, you know, books, uh, yeah, I could name a ton. You know, I'm sorry, it sounds like I'm kind of, bailing out on your question but no you're really it's tough it's tough no it's you're not bailing it's um you're not bailing it in the sense that you're you're still citing stuff you know final fantasy tactics things like that because at the end of the day there's always inspiration all around you but it's always good to at Mm -hmm. least get an idea of where it's coming from i mean some of the designs when when mike sent them to me and i've included some of them in the app when people get shows you know the rokan design i really like just because It was it was a throwback to exactly that, like to Lord of the Rings. He looked like the kind of a guy you'd see in a Lord of the Rings book on on his design. Obviously not the giant cannon, but the design itself yeah. was the kind of guy that would kind of be more at home in that sort of an environment. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and a lot of other video games that we played that have sort of like steampunk type of world. And, you know, there's a ton of punk. Bioshock is a huge influence because of the way that they, the way that their world runs. You know, that's, that's another method that we use. You know, it's just, it's tough. It's really tough to cite particular influences, especially when it comes to story and, and character generation. Mechanics, I could cite, you know, basically Final Fantasy Tactics, and most tactical RPGs and then like Dark Cloud for like the weapon systems and, you know, basic RPGs like Western and Japanese in terms of how the game play. You know, I could cite those directly, but story, it's, yeah, it's almost impossible to tell you every single thing. Cause like you just said, everybody's inspired by stuff all the time and you may be inspired by something and not even really be aware of it. Yeah. I mean, just, I can see, I can yeah. see, you know, even when, with, with, with Arkan's design, how there's there's a little bit of, of samurai motif to his design, so I'm like, all right, they got a little a little you know a little Japanese influence in his design. So I see how the character spectrums are spread out in terms of just mm-hmm. em- embodying all the different things that you guys kind of put into it. So I, I like that because it helps people relate to the characters a little differently, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. And the Arkans are also a lot like the Romans. You know, they've got a lot of influences there. And, you know, they're also, they've got a lot of influences in history as well. Because, you know, what's more relatable than human history, you know? No, I, <laughs> I agree. Things where the relatable space is almost unlimited. And, you know, when the story, I can't really tell you what the story is about in specifics, but, you know, when it encompasses issues that we're all familiar with, bare bones and it's stripped down to, you know, what it basically is, as long as people can relate to it, I think that that's where it needs to be. Because when you get, and this is not a slight on Japanese RPGs at all, but I find that a lot of modern Japanese RPGs, although I love playing them, they're really, really hard for a Western audience to grasp simply because it's not relatable space for the Western audience. And I'm sure you, you know exactly what I'm talking about if you've played any recent Final Fantasy. Well, Japanese... 13, I had a really hard time understanding half of what was happening. I mean, I got it because, you know, we're all intelligent. But, yeah, it's just, it's really dense. And there's a lot of stuff going on there that a Western audience might not grasp onto as easily as an Eastern audience. You're you're 100% right with stuff like that because the the concepts always feel so crazy that Mm -hmm. you have to strip away so many elements to really get to the bottom of the story. But I'm... on the same note, Japanese audiences probably feel the same way playing some of our stuff. And the reason oh, yeah. I the reason I, I say that. that is because if you remember, remember when Blue Dragon came out and it was huge in Japan and everybody thought it was so awesome for Xbox, and then it just came here and fell flat. Yeah, it never did anything. Nope. So I can I can yeah. see I can see where you're coming from. Oh yeah, it's it's really really obvious, and I think there are some. Developers who are trying to bridge the gap, I know that, uh, I think Bethesda was actively advertising uh, Fallout New Vegas. I- I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe they were actively advertising Fallout New Vegas over in Japan to try and get some Eastern interest in what's really a Western game. I don't know how successful that was because I haven't seen the numbers, but I know they're trying to bridge the gap. And it's it's weird because... You know, in the West, 
you have that sort of otaku, uh, not otaku, otaku audience where people are really, really into Japanese culture. Right. And you see that all over the place. You know, you, you have a lot of people who are just really, really, really into that. So automatically when a Japanese game comes out here or an anime is released here, like those people are automatically into it. It doesn't matter what it is. They're like super, super, super hardcore interested in it. Whereas there's nothing like that in Japan. There's not like, there's not a Western variant of someone who kind of copies Western culture in Japan, as far as I know. I've never personally been there, so I can't really speak to that 100% truthfully, but it's it's weird. You know, it's just one of those things that, you know, just it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I definitely can understand, and, and referencing that into the next question is obviously you guys are going, you know, PC, Mac, Linux. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's get into console possibilities, um, whether you mm-hmm. guys forecasted that far ahead or not. Do you guys see yourselves putting something like that as a more Xbox Live Arcade or PSN versus, say, a full-on retail release? Do you think it's more beneficial to do it as a as an Xbox Live or PSN type of a release if you guys ventured into that territory? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, it's, it's always nice to get it out to as many audiences as possible. You know, there are some people who don't really use Steam or, you know, are not really computer gamers. So to those people, obviously it's beneficial for us to get on console. And, you know, you absolutely want to try to get your game on as many platforms as possible. And, and in terms of us, yeah, we'd love to branch out. And that's something that we're definitely intending on doing. Um, it's really just a matter of making sure that we're able to do so. And it depends on the success of the game. You know, if there's, a, if there's clamoring for it and stuff, and there's, there's a general desire for it to be ported, then that makes it a lot easier to make that decision to port it over. But in terms of, you know, a forecast, yeah, I, I would love to port it over to, you know, XDLA or PSN in the future. It's just, it's really just a matter of time. That's all it really is. Because there's no reason that we can't do it. And uh, outside of legal issues, which I'm not even aware of, but, uh, you know, if there are any, that would be the only thing that would prevent us from doing so. Gotcha. But, you know, indie gaming as a whole, I think you'll find a lot of them either start on either PSN or XBLA and then, you know, port over to Steam or, or some sort of independent release on PC or, or vice versa. Like, I think Super Meat Boy did that. And uh, a lot of Edmund McMillan stuff has done that. And it's becoming more popular as time goes by. I mean, they have a, don't they have a Xbox Live Minecraft now? Yes, or yes, they do. imagining things? No, sir. Yeah. 100% right. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest PC games possibly ever because of the amount that it's sold in terms of independent games at least. So... You know, it's as much as we can branch out, we will, and I think that it pretty much applies to any independent developer. Well, it, in on on the independent developer, nothing is bigger right now than than the Ouya console. We already know yeah. nine nine nearly nine million dollars in funding, um, various mainstream add-ons being considered, Plex for media, Android, triple uh, A. Th- title companies are looking at it as well. Uh, do you feel that that platform is tailor-made for what you guys are working on? Because honestly, you got a, a crowdfunded console 
willing to work with different developers. Is it something that's crossed your crossed your desk already based on the success of this particular console without it even dropping? Or is it something that you guys are kind of just, you know, dipping your toes in the pool and seeing what's going on? I honestly don't see how we uh, can't be a success. Uh, I think it, it generally makes gaming more accessible, especially if it's just primarily using Android, as far as I know. And I really, I mean, with, with how cheap it is, you know, it's introductory price, 99 US dollars. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I pulled that up on my computer screen right now. That's cheap. That's really, really, really cheap in terms of consoles. And it brings console gaming to a lot of people that previously probably weren't able to do it unless they owned a Wii, which, you know, a lot of, you know, it, it depends on who you talk to about how great people consider the Wii. I think it's a great console, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, so, like, with Ouya, yeah, I mean, that's something that we're definitely looking into, and I think that's something that pretty much anybody would be looking into at this point because of the popularity of it. I mean, it, it got overfunded by just a massive amount. I mean, $9 million, it, It's just just ridiculous. And what did they ask for initially, like 850000 or something? Yeah, they were. They had a, a funding cap of 750 and then, of course, one yeah, one million, then two million, then three million, then by the you know that hit nearly nine million dollars, which of course attracted a lot of attention. Now you know they're going to be working with OnLive, which is going to bring in a PC gaming component also. Mm-hmm. So it's a it, it, that's yeah. why, that's why I asked because you know a lot of these guys that are putting out these these crowdsourced titles that are in a similar boat as you are probably not even giving it a second a second glance because they're like you know i gotta focus on my on on putting my product out there but i but i like your response because you guys are still working on your on your product getting it out there but you're also quietly exploring other avenues for distribution which you have to do especially to get it into as many hands as possible yeah 100 percent correct and i mean something like oh yeah you know it's People would be fools not to try to take advantage of it, at least to some extent. You know, I, I can't really see it flopping. I can't predict the future, but I don't really see that happening. And, you know, I really think that whoever's listening to this, and if you want to make games, definitely look into it because it's, I think it's going to be the next big thing. I really do. I agree 100%. And, yeah, like you said, we're definitely looking into it 100%. No, I, I gotta. I have to commend you guys, and I, I spoke about this with Michael Offair because you guys are are taking a completely different approach. Besides, obviously, going crowdsourced, you're you're looking at avenues to get the the word out, and you're doing it in a way that's open and transparent to your audience. You know, I, on the Kickstarter mm-hmm. page, I see you guys answering questions. And letting letting people know where you are with development. I saw one somebody answered a question regarding Linux releasing for the game, and that's the kind of thing that I think the gaming community is lacking. Twitter's been great for that, just being able to get hands on with some of the developers. But they're, they're, the developers are so oversaturated with questions that it gets lost in the shu- in, in in the shuffle, especially on Twitter. But I like that that more intimate approach that you guys are taking and you're keeping it very transparent, which I think is, is definitely a, a great formula for success. And I got to commend you guys for that. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I honestly think that people have to kind of take that approach 
if you're trying to attract the general interest of the gaming public, what better way to do it than make them feel like you're listening to them? Right. I mean, it seems like it seems like kind of a dumb statement, like, oh, that's obvious. But a lot of people don't really think of it that way. And I, I think that's, like you just said, it's kind of part of the problem with the gaming community in general, or like at least with developers. You know, they're so inundated with just way too many questions, they can't get to everybody. And the bigger you are, the harder it is to do so. You know, I probably wouldn't even be able to, you wouldn't be able to commend me if I was part of, you know, a AAA title company like Blizzard or something like that, because they just simply, I mean, they have literally entire sections of their company devoted to talking to the general public, you know, with, with their PR and stuff. And it's just like, luckily, independent developers have the luxury of doing that. And I honestly think that as a result of being independent, you should really try listen to your audience as much as possible and try to answer what they're talking about and, and be as transparent as possible and be as open and honest as you can be because people want to know what they're getting themselves into if they're investing in your game or if they're if they're getting interest in your game you know they, they want to know what they're getting into really but yeah I mean it's, it's also kind of it's lucky for us that we have the luxury of being able to do that because if we were huge you know, you don't, you don't really have the time. You have to just kick it back to the department and you have to give them generic answers. Yeah. Know, Blizzard's famous, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> we'll get back to you later. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, we'll get back to you later or, you know, visit our forums and maybe you'll get an answer in the forums. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's still, that's still better than most cases. But I think that the gaming yeah. communities thrive on being able to have a face to, a face or a voice to a product like when oh yeah when michael told me you had the flu and i told you know i spoke to him and i said listen you still gotta i'd still like for you to come on it's because Mm -hmm. people can go on your site and read countless texts but people can hear this show a week from now a month from now and they can relate to the struggles of possibly creating their own game or they can gain insight into into you as an individual outside of just being a, a rep for a company. And I think that speaks volumes about just selling your product because people want to connect with you a little differently in that, in that sense. Yeah. I mean, you're selling your product, but when you're as small as we are or as small as most independent developers, you're also selling yourself. Right. You know, if people don't believe you can do anything then they're not going to really invest any time, energy, or thought into whatever you may be doing. It doesn't matter how good your game is. If people if people don't buy into whatever you're selling, then it's not going to matter. And, yeah, like you said, you, you need to kind of embrace the public and be open with that stuff. And, yeah, I mean, I, I love doing stuff like this because it's nice for people to understand, you know, what's going on through the minds you know, of a small developer, because there are a lot of things that come up that you probably wouldn't think of. So, you know, it's nice to be able to actually talk about this so that people have a source for that particular set of information. It's not really available anywhere. Like, you, you can hear it from, if you go to school for it, you can hear it from professors and such, but, you know, really, it's kind of trial by fire, because you're in the entertainment industry, and it's, it's really cutthroat. And, you know, if, if you're not able to perform, people don't really care. So it's either put up or shut up, and you, you got to do it. 
You just gotta do it. That's really all it is. <laughs> and I think I think that's the perfect way to to cap it to cap things off. Um before we wrap <laughs> before we wrap things up, of course, uh Reaction Interactive, they can they can be followed on Facebook. Orovim is also on Facebook. You can check them out. They're listed in our favorites. Um, is there anybody you'd like to acknowledge? Any place where people can find you on social media to keep up with what's going on or just to connect with you and possibly pick your brain on stuff? Uh, you can either contact us through our Kickstarter. You can contact us on Facebook, like you already mentioned. Um, those are our primary methods. We have a Twitter page as well. And, you know, we check them often. So if anybody has any questions for us at all, just let us know. I answer questions as does Michael. So, you know, we're both always available if people have anything that they need to ask us. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be working with you guys. It's, it's been a, a fantastic few weeks already. And, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure to get the word out for you guys to make sure we get you guys funded. (laughs) Yeah, we really appreciate it. And thank you for having me on the show. You got it, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, we'll be in touch, and of course, anything you need from us, just drop me a line. I will, definitely. Uh, thank you very much, and we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot, Brandon. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Rick. See ya. Bye. That was Brandon from Creaction Interactive. Of course, you can head over to Creaction Interactive's Facebook fan page. You can also check them out uh, by clicking the Oravim fan page all of those are listed in our facebook fan page in the favorites section and all those links will also be in our show notes on the site and also in the show notes for the episodes themselves so uh many thanks to brandon for coming through i'm going to take a quick commercial break because i need a drink of water and we're going to sprint to the finish hitting uh gaming and movies i think wrestling may need to take a breather this week only because there's so much other stuff going on. So we'll get right back into it right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has... Horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter. Video game news radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, let's talk about gaming because there's a lot going on. My Take Radio's gaming segment is brought to you by Creation Interactive, the makers of the Orovim game. Uh, Orovim is a tactical crowdsourced RPG. You can contribute and learn more by heading over to creationinteractive.com. You can also click their Kickstarter banner on mytakeradio.com as well. They are 68% funded. Let's help these guys hit 100%. MTR listeners that contribute will get a gift courtesy of Creation Interactive. So make sure to check them out. First bit of gaming news for this week. PW Insider reports that UFC Hall of Famer Ken Shamrock will be included in the WWE 13 video game. For those of you not familiar with Ken Shamrock's work, he was actually in the WWE from 1997 to 1999. He had the IC belt, the tag team titles, and he also won the King of the Ring tournament. WWE 13 hit store shelves October 30th. 
For those of you that were looking forward to the PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royal, there has been a slight delay. Originally, people were pumped to be getting their hands on the game October 23rd, but it seems that is not going to happen. You're going to be able to pick up that game November 20th. Uh, That's obviously due to them requiring more time to polish and fine-tune the game as well, as per Superbot President Park Chan. I will say this, I think that games that are delayed for the sake of improving, whether it's gameplay or mechanics, is something that I feel is just better. I think um, most times if it's delayed for fear of competition from other titles, I think it works better to acknowledge that as opposed to just taking the cop out and letting the chips fall where they may. But if you're going to fine-tune and polish the game and it has to be pushed back, I'd rather be pushed back and we get a quality title than something that's rushed out for the quick cash grab that isn't as good as it should be. There was also a release calendar put out from Nintendo for a couple of titles that were announced at Gamescom. I just want to break down some of the dates that you guys can expect. Obviously, uh, AAA titles such as Paper Mario Sticker Star coming out November 11th. Uh, Professor Layton and the Miracle Mask, that's coming out October 28th. Epic Mickey's Power of Illusion is November 18th. But games like Luigi's uh, Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, those titles are not slated to hit till the first half of 2013. Originally, you were going to be seeing that this holiday season, but things have changed. So I want to give you guys a couple of rough release dates for some of the titles that Nintendo put out. And you guys can make note on the calendar. The Angry Birds trilogy is slated to come out in uh, in September. Now I'm hearing it's going to be coming out in October, so that's kind of up in the air at the moment. That's going to be debuting on the 3DS. Wipeout 3 will be on the Nintendo 3DS in October, so will Wreck-It Ralph. Rise of the Guardians, the video game, will be released November 20th. Uh, Disney Pixar's Finding Nemo is in September. FIFA will be debuting on the 3DS in September as well. Uh, Sonic All-Stars Racing Transform, that'll be out November 20th for the 3DS. Last but not least, there is a rumor that they will be dropping Spy Hunter in the fall and Lego Lord of the Rings in the fall as well. Paper Mario Sticker Star, like I said, November 11th. I think that the 3DS in this list, the huge list of titles I'm looking at, most of these titles, while they are promising, seem to be littered with filler to a degree. And and those titles that I want to acknowledge are things like Hello Kitty Picnic, 50 Classic American Games, The American Mensa Academy, honestly, shovelware out the ass, Harvest Moon, A New Beginning, that's slated for the fourth quarter, Crosswords Plus, Style Savvy Trendsetters, Chevrolet Camaro Wild Ride, Word Wizard 3D, all shovelware shit. And this is why people get frustrated with Nintendo, because of titles like this. Pets Countryside, Imagine Fashion, Imagine Babies with a Z. Scribblenauts Unlimited is slated for the holidays. And also, last but not least, how can we forget this game? Just regular old-fashioned crosswords. That, that'll be out October 1st. So there you go. If you have a 3DS and you want to buy yourself completely shit titles, those are the some of the dates for them. For those that purchase games off the Nintendo eShop, you may be getting a couple of games that, worth, that are worth looking into. Mystical Ninja, starting Goemon, 
Pokemon Dream Radar, Pokedex 3D Pro, Wario Land 2, which is slated for the fourth quarter. In there as well, you're going to get some beautiful titles like Cave Story or Fluidity Spin Cycle. How about Crazy Chicken Pirates 3D? Oh yeah, super pumped. And of course, regular Nintendo DS games. You're going to be getting Transformers Prime, Wreck-It Ralph also, Hotel Transylvania, Thundercats, Pokemon Black and Pokemon White. Those will be coming out October 7th. And Lego Lord of the Rings as well. And of course, amongst that, we got Shovelware also, including Nickelodeon Bubble Guppies. Or, better yet, here we go, Winx Club. Or maybe Monster High Skull Skultimate Roller Maze. This again, this continues to reinforce the fact that Nintendo just cranks out complete garbage, with the exception of a couple of AAA titles. So there you have it, folks. And some other news I wanted to talk about, and this is some first-person shooter news regarding Call of Duty Black Ops 2. It seems that they are getting a, a little bit of a perk if you're a fan of esports. Those of you that do shoutcasting. With Call of Duty, will now be able to give live play-by-plays during a match or add commentary to games saved in theater mode. Those live streams can then be fed to a browser for anyone to watch. So if you're a fan of game commentary, especially for first-person shooters, then Treyarch will be taking care of you with Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Lastly, to round out the video game segment, because like I said, it was a little light, a few pieces of information regarding the Vita were announced at Gamescom. First off, PlayStation Plus will be coming to the PlayStation Vita. No release date was given, but I'm sure you can expect that during the holiday season. Also, they are increasing the cloud storage limit for PSM Plus. It's going from 150 megabytes to 1 gig, effective in September. Last but not least, Ratchet & Clank's Full Frontal Assault, which will be debuting on the Vita, will also be coming out on the PS3. So if you purchase it for the PS3, you'll be getting the Vita version for free. And finally, the one bit of news that I liked, the the PS1 Classics will start coming to the Vita on August 28th. So if you want to play some of those great PS1 games, just because there are hardly any good games for the Vita at this time, then August 28th will be the date that you will be looking for. Only because those games at least will extend the shelf life of the PS Vita, because honestly... There's not much else to work with. Alright guys, that's going to wrap up the gaming segment for this week. Let's get into some movie news as we sprint to the finish. Where's the trailer? Where is it? Ah, you never give it to an ordinary citizen. Where is it? Where's the trailer? Where is it? Where is it? Tell me where the trailer is. Then you have my permission to die. It never gets old, that Batman clip. God bless Slick for that, because it makes me laugh every time. And it's only fitting that that brings us into the movie segment this week, which is brought to you by Shop HBO. Get $5 flat rate shipping on all True Blood orders with the code SEASON5. Shop HBO for the best in HBO merchandise, including your True Blood t-shirts. Also, stuff for the newsroom, Game of Thrones, all your favorite HBO shows, you'll save $5 flat rate shipping only on the True Blood stuff, sadly. So Season 5 is the promo code for that. 
Now, regarding Batman, of course, we got to open up with box office totals as the Dark Knight Rises gets dethroned from the number one spot by the Bourne Legacy. $40.3 million to start things off. The campaign came in number two, and the Dark Knight Rises drops to number three with $19.5 million. Hope Springs was number four. Diary of a Wimpy Kid was number five. Total Recall was six. Ice Age Continental Drift was seven. Ted was eight. Step Up Revolution was nine. And The Amazing Spider-Man was ten. Now, we got a lot of movie news, so I'm going to kind of go through certain things a little quicker than others. I did want to throw this piece of what-the-fuck movie news out there, and that is a big-screen adaptation of The Little Rascals, which will begin filming in September. Here is your plot synopsis for what I am sure is going to be a steaming pile of shit. When their beloved adopted grandma is about to lose her bakery to scheming billionaire Big Ray K, the little rascals try to raise money to help, but their harebrained schemes masterminded by Spanky result in comical disaster. Their last hope is performing on a television talent show, but the kids are up against some notably glitzy competition, and their ragtag band has an uphill battle if they hope to win the big cash prize. So there you have it, guys. We are getting a big screen version of The Little Rascals, which I'm sure the newer generation will have no idea who the fuck they are. I think that falls into um, the demographic that listens to this show that was, you know, 30s and um, maybe 30s and 40s that actually watched The Little Rascals growing up. I actually like uh, Slick's take on it. He says that Little Rascals meet Step Up to the Streets. And you know what? That's kind of what it sounds like. I smell it being a steaming pile of shit from start to finish. Speaking of movies that are considered steaming piles of shit, I got to talk a little bit about Wolverine. And that's because, of course, X-Men Origins, a lot of people have a love-hate relationship, thinking that that is the weakest interpretation of Wolverine and that Hugh Jackman fared better in X-Men 2. Well, Hugh Hugh Jackman looks to be distancing himself from that film. He recently spoke to Total Film Magazine via uh, the the Coventry Telegraph, which cited the following quote, which was that he's looking to separate this particular Wolverine film from the Origins film. He stated, We've deliberately not called it Wolverine 2 because we want it to be placed and feel like a standalone picture. With an all-new cast and setting in Japan, it'll give you a whole new visual aesthetic. The approach to the character means we won't be overloaded with mutants and teams, etc. It'll be more character-based. I think in many ways it will feel like a completely different X-Men film. The Wolverine is stated uh, slated to hit theaters July 26, 2013, which is going to involve, of course, Wolverine falling in love with Yukio in Japan, and of course that's going to involve him tangling with the hand and Silver Samurai and all this shit. Here's here's the thing with the Wolverine character. I think that going with the standalone project is a wise choice, but I do have to state that Wolverine only was viewed negatively because they decided to make Wolverine a bit of a bitch. He cried, he was way too emotional. Wolverine is a cold, heartless killer. Yeah, he does have moments of humanity, but the majority of what Wolverine does is being a badass. And it almost felt like they stripped that away in favor of just ch- cramming it with mutants and household names that we all know. I think um, the Wolverine films definitely would thrive in an R-rated environment. Obviously, from a merchandising standpoint, we're not going to get that. 
but I think that's that that that's definitely a detriment. I honestly feel that Marvel needs to embrace what I like to call the Marvel Knights imprint to put out some of those darker characters that fall into that. Characters like the Punisher, Wolverine to a degree. I mean, Wolverine is always going to be Wolverine regardless, but catering tailoring the character to be more kid friendly is definitely a step in the wrong direction. It hinders the character and it ruins any potential for them gaining a foothold in the box office. Simple as that. This coming Friday, of course, we have The Expendables 2 in theaters, and they are already talking about potential actors for The Expendables 3. Producer Avi Lerner recently dropped some nuggets of information with Total Film, including some casting possibilities, which are as follows, and the, re- the results are pretty surprising. He said, we've approached Clint Eastwood to be one of the guys. We've got a character in mind for him. We're talking to Harrison Ford, Wesley Snipes when he comes back from prison, and I'll give you one more name. We've got Nicolas Cage. We're also looking to bring Mickey Mickey Rourke back if he won't be too crazy. I like Mickey. And of course, all the existing stars will return. I like that they're looking for guys like Clint Eastwood. Wesley Snipes, definitely a shoe-in. Nicolas Cage... Harrison Ford is in the same, but how about, how about guys like Carl Weathers, you know, action Jackson, Jeff Speakman, perfect weapon. Um, how about some women throwing some women in there? You know, Mimi Lesios, Cynthia Rothrock. You can go down the list of other notable action stars that would be shoo-ins for the expendables. Michael Jai White, I would throw in there. Um, those characters I think would work a lot better. I Tony Jai, you can throw Tony Jai in there, maybe make him a bad guy. I think a fight scene between a guy like Tony Jai and Jet Li would be amazing for something like that, especially in the Expendables universe that they're trying to create. Clint Eastwood, obviously, you got to add a legend in there. Had had he been alive, I would have looked to put the 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 great Charles Bronson in there as well. Um but Nicolas Cage, Harrison Ford, yeah, they're they're they are action stars. But you got to look at guys like Wesley Snipes or villains like Alan Payne. Mario Van Peebles is another guy that you could throw in there who would be great. Uh, a welcome addition. Like I said, Carl Weathers, Action Jackson. Just with that alone, he should be involved. Of course, Carl Weathers was also in Predator and also in the Rocky films as Apollo. So those are guys that should be considered higher than a guy like Nicolas Cage and even Harrison Ford. That's how I feel. But... Stranger things have happened. Maybe we will see those guys, but the preliminary names so far, I'm only sold on Snipes and Eastwood. So, last week we talked about Daredevil and the rights rights battle going on with Daredevil and, obviously, Fox and Disney. Well, it turns out that there was a sizzle reel put out by Joe Carnahan where he wanted to have Daredevil take place in the 70s, wanted to go with something gritty, wanted to go with something dark. But it turns out that Fox did not want to negotiate with Disney, so now the rights to Daredevil will be reverting back to Marvel and Disney, for for all intents and purposes. The original plan, which I discussed last week, was using uh, leaving Daredevil with Fox but Fox giving up Galactus, Silver Surfer, and The Watcher. 
Now, obviously, Fox is on the losing end because now they get nothing, and their film division, from what I've been hearing, is in a little bit of trouble. So at the end of the day, Marvel may just get everybody back. So take that for what it's worth. Honestly, I think Fox should have taken the deal and put out a Daredevil flick with Joe Carnahan. I'm going to actually share the sizzle reel on the Facebook fan page because it it definitely showed promise. We got some what-the-fuck movie news to throw out there regarding a new Scooby-Doo animated film, Get This, put out by Warner Brothers and WWE Studios. WWE stars will be appearing in a film regarding a mystery at WrestleMania with Scooby-Doo. Wrestlers that will be lending their voices are Triple H, John Cena, Kane, The Miz, Brodus Clay, Santino Morella, Sin Cara, I don't know what voice he's lending unless he's just going to point, AJ, and of course, Vince McMahon. The film is going to be released on Blu-ray, DVD, video on demand, and digital download through Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. Obviously, WWE will use its resources to promote the film, and I just, I'm dying to see it because it can either be complete dog shit, or it can become one of those films that becomes a cult classic among wrestling fans, much like The Chaperone did, which was complete shit. So, as of right now, yes, the concept is insane, but I kind of want to see it in that like I said, that slow driving through a crime scene, traffic accident type of way, because it's it just has the potential to be so awful on so many levels. Last bit of movie news I wanted to close things out with is some other Wolverine news, and that is the casting for the character of Viper, which will be appearing in the Wolverine films. IGN reports that Svetlana Kodchenkova, who was in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, will be playing the role of Viper. Viper, of course, uh, works with Hydra. She is a mercenary. And in this in this particular film, she's being described as a complex character who is both a friend and foe to Wolverine. So be on the lookout for that. And probably we'll be getting some promotional stills in the coming weeks. Maybe we'll see what she looks like. She needs green hair, obviously, first and foremost, and a green outfit. And that has to be a staple. I'm sure that they're going to play it the safe route and maybe throw little shades of green in there, but nothing crazy. Simple as that. All right, guys, that's actually going to wrap things up this week. A lot of things kind of fell by the wayside, the wrestling segment in particular, but that's only because we were limited from time constraints. Maybe we'll do a separate wrestling episode. We'll see how that works. But until then, that's actually going to wrap up MTR episode 151. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or would like to be a guest on our interview series, My Take Radio Beyond the Mic and My Take Radio Behind the Mic, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're interested in advertising with MTR, you can also email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com and we can discuss various advertising opportunities we offer, including advertising for our segments and sponsorship opportunities as well. Last but not least, social media networks, we are all over them. You can follow us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio. MySpace, if you're feeling froggy, you can look for us there. FormSpring, if you got questions, formspring.me forward slash MyTakeRadio. Add us to your circle on Google+. We're going to be doing more stuff with Google+, in the coming weeks. We've been interacting a little bit more on that side, and we're going to try and do more 
video with Google Plus very soon. Last but not least, make sure to pick up your official My Take Radio app for your Android or iOS device. Of course, that allows you to listen to 96K episodes of MTR. In addition to that, you'll get mobile wallpapers and other exclusive content as well, including access to our app-exclusive series, MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, The Minority Film Report, and other exclusive app programming. Last but not least, make sure to listen to MTR Live every Thursday on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Also, you can listen to the simulcast on Mixler on our Facebook fan page. You can also listen on MyTakeRadio.com by clicking the Listen tab, and there is a Blog Talk Radio player in there as well. Podcast and archive versions of the show are available on Stitcher, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, BlackBerry Podcasts, and any of your other podcatchers, including TuneIn Radio. Last but not least, you can also listen to My Take Radio episodes on the FutureCast Media Network, futurecastmedia.com, and you'll be able to listen to them Mondays and Saturdays from 9 p.m. Pacific to midnight, every Monday and every Saturday. All right, guys, that wraps it up. I will catch you guys next week. Taking us out, we got a new artist, uh, came across his work on YouTube, Artificial Fear, and all the links for his work are going to be in the show notes, but you can look for him on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Artificial Fear Official. You can also follow him on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Artificial Fear, F-E-A-R. And I'm not going to tell you guys what the song is because I'm sure you will recognize it as soon as you hear it. I'm out of here. Thanks for listening. Peace. That's all, bro. Come here, it's beyond.